Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy. And tonight is Dan's Tuesday Night Contender. You know, initially I had a doubleheader plan. Like, what I was going to do is earlier on in the day, we had top 15 UFC light heavyweight Jamal Hill on the show. Uh, Y'all got to go back out. And then the plan for tonight was to get UFC welterweight Phil Rowe on the show. But you guys know Phil Rowe, he's six foot four. He fights at 170. He's 6'4 with the 80 inch reach, not at 205, not at 185. Dude fights at 170. He's cutting a lot of weight. He, he's like, dude, like, I, I can't talk right now. <laughs> Wake, I think he's a little emaciated. I don't, I don't think uh, he's feeling his best. So I still felt like I owed the fans the double header that I was going to give you all. So now what we're going to do is recap this month of action in 2022. You know, January is already behind us. Time truly flies. And I had so much fun speaking with the guest I'm about to introduce, Liam Heslin. Last time we spoke, um, interestingly enough, one of my bold predictions is not going to happen. There's a few that are looking like they're on the way to taking place, but one is not going to happen. We're going to talk about that here soon. But firstly, Liam, this is the second time in a row you've stepped up on short notice to save the day for half the battle. I mean, I think you're becoming a household name here, man. We truly appreciate it. And uh, welcome back to half the battle. Well, thank you very much, Dan. It's my absolute pleasure uh, to be here. And yeah, it's, you know, when you get a short notice opportunity, you got to be ready to take it. Uh, that's the MMA way. And that's certainly the wrestler way. Any opportunity uh, ready to get out there. And, you know, I had a win over the weekend in jujitsu. I had a loss over the weekend in jujitsu. So I got bitter. I'm going to get better. And uh, that's, that's what I'm planning on, man. Uh, I feel like I'm just fired up and excited to get after it this week and excited to be on the show. Hey, don't be bitter. Uh, I mean, do you want to tell us um, how the win went and how the loss went? Like what exactly happened? Ah, uh, sure. It was uh, decisions both ways, and that was something I'm also disappointed in because every time I'm out there, I'm looking for the finish. Uh, it was just some costly mistakes. You know, when I look back at the footage, that's what I realized. Made some costly mistakes, had a lot of good positions, uh, some near finishes, and, you know, if I had committed to one of them, I probably could have gotten it, but, you know, hindsight's a bitch, so uh, I'm just – I'm ready to get back to work. You know what I mean? And uh, – I feel like I learned a lot about myself and a lot about where I need to improve. So that's what I'm looking to do every time. Find out where I'm weak and sharpen it up. Yeah. I mean, that's why you get back in the gym and you try again. I mean, this isn't like professional fighting where, and don't get me wrong. We're, we're competitive here at counts, but this isn't like, you know, you cage fight. Now you have another on your record and, you know, and every loss counts. Whereas here and you're like, this is a great need to, to learn from man. Like, there's so much that you can apply in session. Oh, I should have different. You know, like, for example, um, we're going to talk about some of these fights coming up this weekend. And, like, that Figueredo versus Malcolm Gordon. And it's like, Figueredo will pop him. Gordon, all he had to do was ride him out to, to, to seal off those rounds. Instead, he drops back for a leg lock condition. And it's like little mo that we're like, okay, those are the kind of take back to the gym from and uh not saying that that's what my boy did i assume my boy liam didn't give up a dominant position to go for a leg lock but the point i'm trying is uh take those lessons go drawing board and, and come back better so that's uh that that's my opinion switch cameras on me 
I did switch cameras on you. It was, it was giving me a little bit of feedback on my end, uh, but it, it actually looks a lot worse this way. So we'll switch back. Sorry about that, Chief. There we go. Uh, you're all, you're all, you're all good, buddy. I mean, fun. I mean, like, I'm still kind of man. Uh, Phil Rowe canceled on me literally two minutes before, but man, he's going, he's going like through a, I mean, you know, he missed weight his last fight. The dude is so fucking big for seventies, but I'm excited for his fight with Witt. I mean, he's got a 10 inch reach advantage over Jason Witt. Jason Witt's been knocked out like six times. It says five of them was a DQ win. So that means, that means he's been put on conscious six times. The Isaac Valley flag fight is what I'm referring to. So, but man, we got to recap these first two months or excuse me, these first events of uh 2020 because i was on record saying that uh chica like you got chikazi is gonna lose to a one-dimensional boxer with a negative strike ratio uh yeah actually he did lose to a, a one-dimensional boxer with a negative strike ratio however calvin didn't look like a one-dimensional boxer that night i saw feints to takedowns I saw act takedowns. I saw elbows, which we've seen him knock people out with elbows before, but it was more uh, now there was more diversity. More, I really liked how you were setting him up. And if you would have told me that he was going to beat him for four rounds standing, I would have been like, dude, like, relax. And, I mean, he drained his energy in the first round with that, with that takedown, goes out there four rounds, puts on a – and props to Chikazi for having the heart to stay in there. Um, but – Still, man, that belong man to go from swooping against Max to act like he did. It, it's so damn impressive. And I wasn't picking, you know, uh, Chikazi because of the Max fight. I didn't. I mean, I, I didn't think Chikazi was about to hear and throw over four hundred strikes. I was thinking it was gonna be like the Moicano fight, just like you know, range kicking clinic, and it was nothing. So, Cater, you're back in the mix, buddy, and. uh I mean, he's on the short list. Someone pulls out of a fight, he could be right up there. Absolutely, man. And, you know, that even exceeded my expectations for a Calvin Cater win. You know, I thought Calvin Cater had a path to winning that fight, and I thought that the wrestling was live. But I also thought that, you know, Calvin might be a little bit uh, of an ego fighter and might not insist on using the wrestling. And, you know, it really impressed me that he was so dogged for that first takedown attempt, man. He got the back and he was not letting Giga Chikaze go. And it was very smart. Uh, it was the perfect game plan. Um, you know, say what you will about the New England cartel. They come out with good, solid game plans for their fights, whether they work out or they don't, whether they have the hardware to pull it off. Uh, they're really tactical with how they approach these fights. And, you know, it was a slow, methodical breakdown. And, you know, credit to the heart of Giga Shikadze. I had a $10 free parlay, Dan, uh, to win 500 something dollars not come through for me because Calvin Cater did not get the knockout there. And that's just a testament to Giga Shikadze because he walked through fire, man. He got hit with hammer after hammer after hammer. And I honestly think that Calvin spent himself by like round three trying to knock him out. So he kind of had to slow down the pace a little bit and take a little bit off his shots. Um, it was a really impressive fight from both guys. You know, not really a fight where I think the stock of Giga Chikadze fell because I didn't think he could go five rounds like that. I didn't think he could put up with that kind of damage. I didn't think he'd stay in the fire like that. And he proved me wrong in those aspects of the fight as well. So I think Giga, you know, he could have that kind of Calvin Cater like resurgence. He just has to take some time away from the game um, and, and sit on this L for a little while like Calvin did.
Yeah, listen, I mean, no one's in that first L. And uh, I mean, unless your name is John Jones or Habib. And if they stick, if they stuck around long enough, they, they wouldn't be exempt either. So, you know, I, I expect Giga to come back better. See, it's just the thing is that everybody was uh, about K, like, uh, tons of people were on Cater plus 200, and it turns out that was the right side. Uh, but people were low on Giga, but now people are like higher on Giga. Whereas I'm kind of like, man, I expected him to do really well in this fight, and he didn't. But he did show some things. I mean, like you said, the five round distance, eight really hard shots, kept forward. So I'm excited to see him, you know, take some time off to recover and then come back hopefully stronger. Absolutely, man. And I don't think he made a clown of himself on the ground either. He kept himself largely safe there. It was just like, you know, the, the cardio systems are so different. And so I feel like it just threw off his rhythm for the rest of the fight. He couldn't really get that air back. And, you know, when you're a dynamic kicker like that, that's tough, man. When you're out there without the wind in your sails, it was a long night for him. What a what a brutal beatdown. And Calvin Cater, man, just all props to him. That That's just a master class performance. Uh, and to come back from a beating and dish one out, just like what what dreams are made of, man. It is. Uh, we got uh, someone else uh, hopping in here with us. Uh, James, what's up, buddy? What's up, fellas? Feeling like Brendan Allen right now, you know, coming in short notice. What's going on? I'm happy to be here. I think the first time me and you, Dan, are doing a live stream. Obviously, watch your stuff for a long time. We spoke in the DMs, but happy to be on. So hello to you face-to-face, -face, sort of, through the camera. And obviously, my man, Liam, me and him have spoke quite a few times. So, yeah, happy to be on, boys. Hey, welcome to Half the Battle, man. This is cool. This is the first time we've ever actually talked. Uh, I mean, besides, you know, that shit. Like, actually, face-to-face. -face. You're in New Zealand, right? Yeah, in New Zealand, man. Originally from the UK, London town, but living in Auckland, New Zealand at the moment. So it's Auckland, light New outside, Zealand. 3 p.m. for us here. So I'm living in the future. 3 p.m. Wednesday for me. Dude, I'm a big New Zealand. It's funny, like I've been to New Zealand, but I've never been to Australia. And actually, my sister lives in Australia. But um, I've been to Christchurch, to Auckland, and then what fucking place that has like the you know, like the geysers? And then when you get off the plane, salt in uh, New Zealand. You know what I'm talking about, dude? Like, yeah, yeah, uh, maybe I'm having some feedback with the audio. Uh, is the place you're talking about Rotorua? Uh, I don't think so. So I went to Christchurch, to Auckland, and then one more place. And like I said, you 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 have to go on a small airplane. You get there, and as you get off, you can smell the uh, the sulfur from Lycanos, like, from the geysers or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. There's a few places like that. One of the places called Rotorua. It absolutely stinks there. They call it Roto Vegas. I'm gonna go there in two days, actually, which is a bit of a coincidence. But New Zealand's a beautiful country, man. When the world opens up, I definitely implore everyone to come over here. Beautiful greenery, beautiful mountains if you like skiing, snowboarding. I love it out here, man. No, actually, that's the place I've ever seen. And it's interesting because it's like you skiing and then you go a couple miles and you go to a So, like, it was five, man. Even though I've only been there, it was way over 10 years ago. But I will get my experience man so enjoy can hopefully i mean it's not like lockdown like it is is it i, I don't know like i'm not in touch yeah, with it, to mean, that extent it's, it's up and down over here like they just put some new restrictions on but i, I think everything gonna go back to normal soon man i'm just waiting it all out bro did you by chance get to hear what pm uh, said about uh calvin and giga um I don't know. Well, is it only is it only me that's having the 
Liam, are you having any feedback from Dan? I was just actually sending in the private chat. Yeah, I think there is just a tiny bit of feedback right now from the microphone uh, for some reason. Oh, it, really? It keeps, it keeps on cutting off, Dan. I don't know, maybe like disconnect and reconnect your microphone. I thought it was just me, but if Liam's saying it as well. Oh, uh, so I was saying you can't exactly hear what I'm saying is what you're saying. Yeah, it's jumping, scratching. Fuck. I can that hear you, but yeah, Half a, a half a okay hold on let's try my other mic is this one any better sounding good at the moment you got two mics at the ready god damn all right well this one's better y'all just let me know any issue because today i was having all kinds of fucking issues uh with jamal hill my mic wouldn't work period and i had to do like a two-hour troubleshoot afterwards but anyways can you hear me then we're good but that yeah. being said talking about this a Giga and Cater fight. And probably, I mean, I thought that there's no way a one-dimensional with a net back ratio is Giga Chikadze. And not only did he beat five assets to his, he was fainting the takedowns. The threat of the take is out there. I love how he off, uh, uh, pushed him against the fence, used the momentum of that, take him down, wore out, and then two through five, Goes out there and uh, beats him at his own game. Was pretty damn impressive as a plus two hundred dog. Yeah, yeah, I, f I thought that was a that was a beautiful performance by Calvin Cater, man. I I didn't bet the fight. I thought the line might be slightly wide, but I don't know, man. I just wanted to see how Calvin rebounded from that Max Holloway fight. Obviously, that was only twelve months prior, and it was one of the worst beatdowns we've seen in UFC history. You know, in fact, I think it was the most strikes landed in UFC history by about 100 strikes, which is just insane, you know. I know a lot of people who are into stats out there will be foaming at the mouth reading them stats because it was like complete anomaly. You know, we see beatdowns all the time, but that fight was like a, an anomaly to all the other beatdowns we've seen. So I did want to see how Calvin, you know, rebounded. And we have seen Calvin had trouble with the kicks before, and Giga Jakarta is a pretty good kicker, but obviously... You know, it wasn't to be. Calvin Cater bounces back. And I'm actually interested in who they both come up against next time because I still think they're both players in a division. Um, but Giga, you know, that them cardio issues that we see earlier in his career kind of seem to plague him again there. Because I honestly think without that takedown in round one, I think the fight goes slightly differently. I do think Calvin would have pulled away in the fourth and fifth rounds. But I think that takedown in round one, which was actually a slip from Giga, completely changed that fight. Um, Giga started off well, fast, and I just I'd like to see it without a takedown. But again, all props to Calvin. You know, he he did jump on top at the end of the day. Um, but what a great main event to start the year off with. You know, it's like that's probably going to be one of the performances of the year, especially as a plus two hundred underdog. And it was the first pay per view of the year, and especially coming up victim of performance of the year the year prior. Yeah, against yeah, Max Hollow. It was pretty damn impressive. Um, I mean, I'd like to see can uh, what do you all that matchup, Liam? I I missed I missed who you said there. Jo Josh Emmett versus Calvin Cater. Oh, I love it. I mean, that's a great fight. Um, it's tough in the sense that you like both guys, so you know you don't want to see either one of them take that L. But uh, it, it's just a, a great matchup stylistically. Both guys who are strikers. Um, you know, keep that wrestling in their back pocket most of the time uh, would be a great main event, I think, uh, for a UFC Fight Night card. Uh, could complement any pay-per-view. I, I like that matchup. I mean, James, 
Yeah. What what did you say? Can y'all hear me okay? Not not me. No? I, I don't know if it's just me or if it's Liam. If it's just me, I'm gonna shoot out, boys. I apologize. No, I, Liam, I am hearing up, I'm hearing what you're saying, but it, it looks like slightly disconnected from the time you're saying it. At least at least right now. Like I'm getting most of what you're saying, but uh it's not coming through, uh, I don't think. Fuck. Switch, well, the that, switchback. The switchback. Hey, y'all got to keep me with this. Like, let me know exactly what's going on. But I said five cater or six Emmett. It's the fight I want to see. James, yeah. did you hear what I just said? I, I, yeah, I saw that. I, I heard that. I heard that. Uh, that absolute banger of a fight, man. Uh, Josh Emmett. Josh Emmett has gone on a crazy run. I think, I don't want to get it exactly wrong, but I believe he's knocked down his last six opponents at least once in each fight. He continued it with Dan Ige. So six opponents in a row, he's knocked them down at least once. And a couple of them opponents, he's knocked down about three or four times. So that's an insane stat. I think he's up there with like Rumble Johnson. I think with the last Ige one, he might have set the stat for the longest knockdown uh, run in UFC history, which is just insane. I mean, the guy's power is out of this world. You know, he hits you once. He's like a mini Ngannou, Josh Emmett, an absolute tank. Against Calvin Kater, that's going to be an absolute banger. It, I don't think Calvin Kater has ever been wobbled, you know, as far as I can remember. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but can't even remember. I'm, I guess he got wobbled with the elbow against Max Holloway. But other Max than that... Max had him with the head kick, too. And, okay, and had yeah. him a little bit on skates. But Max those are the only times I can recall. Yeah, yeah. I remember the big elbow that definitely wobbled him. I, I guess the head kick as well. Um, but other than that, I mean, the guy's got an absolute iron chin, you know. He takes everything. Takes the takes the kitchen sink, even the shots from Giga Jakarta he was taking. I know the whole um, narrative around that fight is like Calvin just mollywhopped him, but Calvin at huge shots many, many times throughout the whole five rounds from Giga and literally walked through him, you know. It, it didn't hurt him at all. So I wonder if Emmett can go seven for seven, seven in a row, knockdown against Calvin Kaya. That would be interesting to see. Man, I don't know what, what we would line that, honestly. Hey, okay, so I turned my mics off and I turned the camera mic on, which is shittier quality, but if you can hear me better, then that's all that matters. Can you hear me better? That's perfect. That's perfect. All right, cool. 1, so what I was gonna what I was gonna say, you were talking about the knockdown rate of Emmett, which actually he's got the most knockdowns in featherweight history. But refresh my memory just because we see so many fights. Did he land a knockdown against Ige? Yep. Yep. Okay. Hey. Yeah. First round, was it, Liam? I believe the first round, he knocked him down. I think so. And I had a decent little wager there on Josh Emmett. And the, the rest of the fight was a little bit sketchy for my liking at that, that chalk price. So, um, yes, I think it was early in the fight he got him. And then Dan, you know, like Dan Ige kind of does in all his fights, he claws his way back even if he starts losing early. So he's an impressive guy um, in terms of his resolve, man. He, he takes a lot of, uh, like, hard shots and comes back. I remember in the Edson fight, he got dropped with a knee to the body and like pulled guard and then was able to get back to his feet like a minute later. So just a really tough and smart guy. So, I mean, Calvin and Josh, that's number five versus number six. And then Giga, I mean, what about number eight versus number nine? Giga versus Dan Ige. What do you all think about that? Another great fight, man. I mean, I'm a bit of a UFC nerd, though, you know, like when these cards are coming up and people posting on Twitter, Oh, this is a shit card. I'm usually like, <laughs> it's a great card, man. You know, but I'm a bit of a nerd. Like, I like all fights, but 
that fight specifically, that's a great fight. Again, it, it's really hard for me to like line certain fights, but I guess you'd have to make Ige the favorite there, especially if they made it a five rounder. I just think that 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 cardio issue for Gig is really going to be an issue when he fights these upper echelon guys. You know, if he doesn't get people out of there quickly, he's probably going his gas tank's going to start to wane, especially if they they involve the grappling. And Dan Ige, one thing he will do is he will go to the grappling when he needs it. You know, he's not necessarily going to look for it, but he's a smart fighter. You know, he's an all-round MMA fighter. He'll do what he needs to do to get the win. And he's durable as fuck, like we just said. So it's kind of hard for me to see Giga putting him away, although Giga can put any man away. So I lean Dan Ige there, but that will be an absolute banger, just like the Calvin Cater versus Giga fight was. You know, Dan Ige is like one of these guys where I know I know he's had a couple setbacks, but like every single time he's in there, you're, you're going to know you were in for a fight. You're going to remember that night you fought Dan Ige because, I mean, the guy's Hawaiian, which means that it's pretty much next to impossible to knock him out. He hits like a truck. He's obviously, you know about his ground game, and he's, he also has the heart of a lion. I mean, there's a lot of these fights where Ige will go out there and lose the second round on multiple occasions, then come back dominantly in the third. So I like the guy, and then with Giga, you know exactly what he brings to the table. We want to know how's he going to bounce back. We saw how Cater bounced back from his beatdown. How's Giga going to bounce back from his? And I just think that that's such an intriguing matchup. And I'm with you, James, in terms of like, Dude, like you'll never hear me complaining about a card or like I just like watching fights. Like I, like, I don't really give a shit. Like, I mean, if I'm at the local 7-Eleven and two guys I don't know are getting into a fight, I'm watching it. Let alone at the UFC level. So to me, hell yeah, man. And it's funny to hear gamblers talking about like, oh, it's such a shitty card. It's like, well, are you watching it to be entertained or are you watching it because you want to cash your bets? I thought that if you're a gambler, like who get like you're really crying that about name value and shit like that. Why don't you want to, why don't you cry more about the, the value of the bets you're placing? So that, that's kind of my take. So I agree with you, James um, and Liam, a any uh, opinion on Giga versus Ige? Yeah, I like that as a matchup. You know, I think it's interesting. I do think that, you know, maybe that softness to the body that we saw in the Edson fight could come back to haunt him. Giga is like brutal uh, with his body attacks, but yeah, I think, you know, we've kind of seen now what you need to do to approach Giga, which is test him in the deeper waters of the fight, uh, try and get close to him, because the further away you are, the more danger you're in. You know, if you can get close to this guy, pin him against the fence, take him down, uh, those are kind of going to be your your pathways into the fight for most of these guys. And, you know, I think also interrupting him with volume. You know, Calvin Cater, a lot of the things that held him back in his career early were those guys that would just fill space and time with volume that he wasn't able to answer. Um, and I think that that was kind of what cost Giga there. Uh, you know, Calvin took a page out of Max's book and was like, every time this guy goes to reset to kick me, I'm going to fill the volume. Even if I have to take one on the chin, I'm going to throw three shots back and make him back out of this range. So I just felt like, um, you know, Dan Ige, I don't know if he could hang it in those ranges with him, but he could definitely integrate the takedowns. And his BJJ, it's not bad. Um, it's pretty good. He, he can control the back. Um, and he can make guys scramble. So that's a disaster for Giga. I think both guys present interesting challenges. So that's, you know, the, the hallmarks of a great fight. Yeah. And I'm curious if like Ige reaches a new level here soon, because I feel like he's right there with these guys, man. He was right there with Emmett. He was right there with Cater. 
I do kind of think Korean Zabi gave him a tour of the octagon, but those other two fights, I thought he was right there, man. So I'm curious to see if, you know, he takes the lessons he learned from those fights, comes back even better, or if he's kind of peaked out. That That's what I'm most curious about. Like, can Dan Ige step up to another level, or have we seen the final form of him? James, uh, do you have any opinion on that? Honestly, I don't really think he's going to reach another level, man. Just personally, I, I feel like what we've seen is what we're going to get. How old is the fella now? He's he's in his 30s, right? Early 30s, maybe 31. This is a complete guess from me, but maybe 31 years old. So 30. 30 years old. We don't usually see too much development once they hit the, the number three. You know, it's in the 20s where we see huge development. Could it happen? Of course, but... I feel like we've seen his game now. He's always going to be in them competitive fights, but I, I don't really think he's going to break that top five in the featherweight division, especially with the new school coming through now. We've got Movzai Evloev versus Ilya Taporia. Obviously, heartbreak from everyone involved in the MMA community when that matchup got um, got destroyed. Hopefully, they put that back together again. But, you know, with these new school fighters coming through, I don't really think we're going to see Ige touch that top five, man. As you said, t t the Korean zombie... You know, gave him a walk of the octagon. I felt like Calvin Cater clearly won the fight, hurt him a couple of times in that fight as well. He was definitely in there and he did win a round there, but I felt like it was a level above from Calvin. The Edson Barbosa fight, you know, he he was he won that fight. I actually bet on Edson Barbosa, and I guess I'm biased, but I did did think Edson Barbosa won that fight. <laughs> but when you've got a bet on it, it's kind of hard to like speak about it after the fact because everyone just thinks you're biased for that reason. But yeah, I feel like Ige is going to be that solid fighter. You know, he's always going to be the gatekeeper. If you can't beat Dan Ige, you're never going to get into the top five. But also, I don't think Dan Ige is going to get into the top five. But he's a solid fighter, man. All respect to Ige. Comes to war every single time he fights. And um, I, li I like that dude. Another fight that really stood out on that card was Roy Vol versus Bontarine, man. I mean, that was such an exciting fight for... All 15 minutes that lasted, nonstop scrambles. And what I love about this kid, Roy Vaughn, is that he is going to work for the entire time that he is in there. I mean, it's nonstop. And I know that at times he's wild. I know that obviously with his style, there's going to be a lot of openings, whether it's the takedown defense, whether it's the strike defense. But, man, you have to be ready to fight at a certain pace to be a guy like Brandon Roy Vaughn. And, and I thought that Hogeria Bontarin did his thing, too. I mean, he looked great as well. It was one of my favorite fights of the year. There's only been two events this year. And I actually thought it would have been fight of the night had the um, Cater and Shikadze fight not been on that card. And honestly, I like, okay, so I would have more so given a performance of the night to Cater and a fight of the night to Roy Vall and Bontarin because that was more back and forth for my money. But either way, man, Roy Vall and Bontarin, I was thoroughly impressed just by the scrambling ability I mean, th the, dude, these flyweights coming up now, like, do you remember the days when dudes like fucking Chris Carriasso were getting title shots and Tim Elliott and like, dude, those days are so long gone and it's such a beautiful thing. And uh, I'm just so happy about the state of the flyweight division, Liam. Absolutely, man. Just uh, a great division. I thought that the title fight was an indication of that uh, as well. A lot of talent in this division on the come up. And I think that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm preparing to see great fights uh, for both of these guys moving forward as well. Um, 
I think that there's a lot of guys in this. We talked about on the preview show that we did earlier this year, uh, Manel Cap lurking. Uh, I forget who they just booked him against, but it was very compelling uh, as well. So uh, I think there's a lot to look forward to at Flyweight. And yeah, it, it's a, certainly a higher quality of contender uh, for the title uh, that these guys have on the horizon. Dude, Sumadarji versus Manel Cap is the fight. And holy shit, right? I mean, I, I think I know who I got. Um and actually, me and Liam, we did our little prediction show. I said Manel Cap was, what did I say? He's, did I say he's going to be a future top five guy, or did I say he was going to fight for a title this year? Something, one, one or the other. I don't remember. I think I think I said top five guy. Um, honestly, man, I think this is a great matchup for him. Uh, maybe you all disagree. I haven't actually sat down and taken the time to look into it. But based off, you know, watching them fight, you know, based off watching their careers over the years, um, I think this guy, Manel, has something to prove, man. I mean, he comes into the UFC. His first fight is Pantoja. Like, one does not simply fight Pantoja in their UFC debut. Was a Look, he definitely lost. Don't get me wrong, but it was a competitive fight. The next one against Nicolau. I think Nicolau is just as talented as anyone in the division. Only issue with Nicolau is sometimes that chin gets tested from time to time. But, I mean, skills-wise, he's right up there. I thought that was a great fight. But then you saw what happened when Manel took a little bit of a step down. I mean, he ran through O'Day Osborne. And um, who's the other guy he knocked out? Uh, sorry. My, Zalgis. Oh, yeah. Dude, usually guys go to, like, hard-fought decisions with Zuma Gulab. Like, tons of guys. Like, even if you think Zuma Gulab won or lost or whatever, he's at least in there, like, tooth and nail, gritty fights. And Manel Cap just washed him, man. So, I think he's someone to look out for. Honestly, like, the biggest issue with Manel Cap is Manel Cap. Like sometimes he's so confident in his power that he'll literally take off three minutes of a round and not do anything. And that's the kind of stuff that's going to cost him. But when this guy lets his uh, limbs go, I mean, bodies do hit the floor. And at the flyweight division, that's a big, big deal, gentlemen. So I like the potential of this kid, Manel Cap. Yeah, I, I, I rate Manel Cap. You know, I actually bet on Pantoja when um, Manel Cap, you know, came to the UFC because. I just thought huge step up in competition. I know he was fighting some good guys over there in in Ryzen, but he it was a big step up in competition. You know, Pantoja been fighting the best fighters of his career, and the line was pretty close. I can't remember what I got on Pantoja, but it was like minus one thirty or something like that. And I was actually screaming at Pantoja because I thought he would go for takedowns, but he never really went for takedowns. But when I watched that fight back, you know, after these times when I'm taping research for Pantoja's fights after that and Manel's fights. He didn't go for takedowns because, you know, he was kind of winning on the feet. But also, a couple of times he went, and Manel was just too fast, man. Manel was quickly away from him. You know, he's so fast on his feet, like all the flyweights. But Manel's faster than even the rest of them. But they're they're so fast anyway. I mean, watching flyweights is crazy, you know. It's like watching two ants fight. They're just, like, running up and down. I remember when Demetrius Johnson, not to go off topic too much, but Demetrius Johnson fought John Dodson. For the title and it was five rounds of just like back and forth they were just running constantly running around the octagon i've never seen nothing like it but you know manel cape is as fast as them guys and probably one of the fastest fighters in the division so i definitely think he's going to be top five i could even see him fight for a title you know whether you predicted that or not but i'm pretty sure he'll fight for a title i think you know at the end of the day flyweight it, it's it a lot of new flyweights are coming up but there's like a solid six or seven who are quite a level above the rest of the 25, you know, whereas some divisions, 
the top 15, they could all fight for the title. But in the flyweights, I feel like six or seven are really there. And then it's kind of the rest. But there are obviously new flyweights coming in, especially with the division being solidified in the UFC now. We're going to see a lot more. Um, but I think Manel Cape's probably going to fight for a title this year. He's he's one or two wins away. I think he's going to get that win against Sumadaji, like you said. But I don't think we're going to get a great line on him because the cat's out of the bag on, on Manel Cape. But I can't see him being any better than minus 200, to be honest. Um, but, you know, if you jump on the openers like some people can, then you might be able to get him like minus 170 or something. But, yeah, man, I'm excited for his career for sure. I mean, Suma Darji is the Chinese Connor, so you never know. I mean, the kid's got some hype, man. Uh, Liam, is that one? I mean, I already know you're looking forward to it, so I don't have to ask you if you are. But, I mean, is that one of the ones that is on your list where it's like, dude, this is one I cannot miss? Yeah, I mean, in terms of flyweights that have finishing power, you know, that's sometimes what's lacking. And these are two guys that have it. And especially, you know, when you think flyweight finishers, oftentimes you think submissions, right? Especially the guys that are in the title picture, uh, both of them have really uh, strong submission games. A lot of their recent finishes have been submissions. And I think that these are two guys that stand out as knockout threats in the division. So that's why it's a really fun matchup uh, between two you know, one guy who's like long and lanky, one guy who's like more explosive and stocky. I think there's just a lot of intrigue to it. You know, it's a, it's a classic style matchup, uh, but, you know, kind of in that new format, you know, flyweights, we don't really have a lot of power punchers. There's traditionally been a lot of really good grapplers. So I like it. I want to see more of these guys. And, uh, you know, Kai Kara France kind of out of that same mold wants to bang. And uh, there, there's a few of these guys now at flyweight. So uh, I think we should get them all involved in these matches together. I think it'll make for fireworks. Let's match make a little bit. So hopefully y'all's memory is better than mine because there's so many fucking fights that sometimes it's hard to keep up with what's going on. But basically, um, I think that the champ, Figueredo, is going to face the winner of Askarov versus Kaikara France. Um, I think maybe Moreno, I think, look, Moreno just went through so much, man. I mean, to be the first Mexican champion, like everybody wants a piece of you. I'm not talking about the division. I'm talking about everybody in your personal life. Like, so I think that he's going to probably take some time off, man. He needs to take six months off to reset. And maybe after Davison fights the winner of Askarov versus uh, Kaikar France, Moreno can hop back in there for another title shot. I don't have an issue with that, but let's match up Roy Val and Bontarin. So, Alex Perez, he's got a fight coming up, right? Who's he fighting? He's fighting Matt Schnell. All right, so he's out the question. Um, Mateus Nicolau, he's fighting um, – who's he fighting again? I know he's got a fight coming up. He's fighting Dvorak, right? Is it Dvorak versus Mateus Nicolau? I didn't know that was booked. That's a serious fight, though. Y'all in the chat, let me know. I'm pretty sure that's the fight, Nicolau versus Dvorak. So that's out the question. Then you got Amir Albazi, who I like. I think he's a good prospect. I just kind of view Roy Vall and Bontarine kind of slightly ahead of him. So, honestly, like, there might be a little bit of waiting around for these guys, or you could always go the veteran route, you know, throw Hogerio Bontarine in there with a Tim Elliott, guarantee him a win. I I'm just trying to figure out what to do with Roy Vall. Um I mean, do you think he should be like a backup fighter for the title? Or is there someone specific you'd like to see Roy Vall fight next, Liam? Man, that's a tricky question. You know, I'm looking over these flyweight rankings and I I'm thinking um, maybe it makes sense to have him fight the winner of that Perez-Schnell matchup um, down the line. Yeah. I think that that's probably a, a fair contender's fight. 
there's nothing else that really jumps off the page at me. Um, you know, maybe an Amir Albazi. I'm not sure if he's got a booking in the division, but um, I, yeah, I just I'm looking at guys who are just unbooked in the division, and there's not a lot of options. You were correct. Dvorak is booked against Mateus Nicolau, so that's going to be a heck of a fight as well. Um, but it looks like a lot of the top guys have matchups. So I got the roster in front of me right now. Albazi doesn't have a fight, actually. So there's always that. Um, James, I mean, if you had a match, Roy Val up, would you give him the winner of someone? Would you give him someone that's not currently matched? I mean, do we want to just hand him a win? It's just the thing with, with Roy Val that we got to understand is that when you've already fought the guys that he's fought in his first uh, five UFC fights, you can't give him easy fights. I mean, we're talking – debut against Tim Elliott next fight against Kai Car France he finishes both these guys then he's in there with the champ Moreno then he's in there with perennial top three guy Pantoja then they give him Rogerio Bontorin who maybe not a lot of people know about him but he's a tough out man and he's got a lot of good wins under his uh, under his belt so we gotta give Roy Vall a big fight I'm just trying to figure out what that big fight would be James yeah I think probably if I was the matchmaker, maybe I'd lean towards what Liam said, you know, the Perez-Schnell winner, because, you know, whoever wins, that's going to be in contention. Um, but I think Roy Val might want that rematch against Brandon Moreno, you know. I mean, Brandon Moreno, when they fought, it was, a, a, at the end of the day, it was a fluke injury win, right? No, no matter what you say about Brandon Moreno was dominating the round, it was a back-and-forth fight, nothing really much happened, and then... Roy Val does his spin, which is the exact same spin that got him taken down when he lost to An Alexandre Pantoja. Um, he'd done his spin, you know, spinning back fist like he always does, got taken down with the body lock by Brandon Moreno, gets put in um gets put in a rear naked choke, fights out of that, then scrambles to some position, and his shoulder pops out of place, right? It just completely pops out. He screams in agony, and you know, Brandon Moreno pounds on his head and gets the TKO. So Look, Brandon Moreno just lost against Figueredo. A lot of people calling for the full fight. I don't want to see the full fight. It's it's been a great it's been a great series, right? It really has. But I don't want to see a full fight. In my opinion, Figueredo won the first fight. The second fight, he got dominated, and then he won the full, he won the third fight, right? So it's two one in my opinion. You know, it is two one in the in the judge's opinion, but the referee took a point, so that's why it wasn't two run, right? That's why it's one one one. But I wouldn't mind seeing that rematch again, you know. It looked like the fight was going one way. I do think Brandon Moreno would be a decent-sized favorite, fairly heavy favorite in that fight. But give Roy Val that shot again, you know. In my opinion, he's earned it. You know, he fought a very tough guy in Bonterin. Give him that shot against Brandon Moreno again, in my opinion. I think he'll jump at it. So that could be one way you play him. But, yeah, there's a few options. The, the Schnell and Perez is probably a more likely outcome just because it's not a rematch. I mean, James, as a fan, you know that if you put Brandon Royval and Brandon Moreno in an octagon together and lock the door, that I'm going to watch. I mean, like, come on. These are two of the most exciting fighters in the history of the division. I just don't think that Moreno's, Moreno's going to be like, dude, I, I'm beyond that. Like, I want my title shot. So I personally don't think Moreno's going to take that. And not because he's scared. I mean, he beat the guy, right? but more so because he kind of wants his title shot. But, yeah, I mean, if they make that fight, fuck yeah, I'm watching. So the last fight I want to talk about on the first card before we move on to Nganu and Gan is actually the first knockout of 2022. 
Got my boy, uh, man, Preet in the house. What's up, my man? Nothing much. What's going on, fellas? Chilling, brother. What you got in your hand there? You know what I got. <laughs> I got that <laughs> lucky late night vibe, baby. Let's you uh, you you writing something down with that pen, my brother? <laughs> More hey. like putting something in, but it's good. <laughs> so look, we got to talk about the first knockout of 2022, and that was Vyacheslav Borshev knocking out Dakota Bush. And I mean, look, he went out there, he did his thing. But now we got to talk about the real important issue, which is he's fighting Mark Jacasey next, which, look, Mark Jacasey might not be the prospect we all thought he was. I mean, when he knocked out that dude, Timu Pakelin, man, I mean, that was like one of the most devastating knockouts we've ever seen in all our years watching the sport and just the the athleticism, the personality. I thought that this kid could be a star, but sometimes it doesn't pan out. It is what it is. But here, he's, he has so much more experience than Borshev. But I have seen DeCasey drop the ball more than once. That's what makes this fight so intriguing. I mean, Borshev, you know, it's interesting. Like, for a Russian, you, you, you think about a wrestling background, a Sambo background. This dude's out here knocking people out with hands. Um, I love this matchup between Borshev and DeCasey and um, Man Pri. I mean, isn't that, like, a great test? Like, when you got a prospect who's only 5-1 and one or 6-1, and one, I mean, he's so early on into his career, man. Uh, I, I think Jacasey is the perfect litmus test. Let's see exactly where you are. Because you beat Jacasey, it's going to be a way bigger fight next. He doesn't beat Jacasey, and then we can take that slow roll, MJ. Yeah, I, it's funny because I think a couple of days before that news actually dropped about that matchup being made was uh, Dana saying that Borshev just keeps hounding this guy to get a fight, right? He's the 2022 version of Kevin Holland. He wants to go out there and fight anybody and just stay active, fight every couple months. And this is, talk about a giant step up, right? You're going from Dakota Bush, who had a little bit of a wrestling threat that a lot of people thought that he could exploit, but Borshev did a really good job, kept that fight standing and just absolutely torched his body. Now he's getting another striker, Mark D.A. Casey. And during that run where he really started to like find his groove, the one big thing that I found in his game was that he was very adamant with his uh, calf kicking abilities. That seemed to be like the whole number one thing that he was focusing on in all of those fights. If you guys go back and watch that run up into the Fizia fight, then the Fizia fight happened. And he was a favorite in that, if you guys remember. And uh, Fizia shut down that calf kicking game and just absolutely torched him on the feet. I'm interested to see what kind of DKC comes into here, though. Like, is he going to go out there and try to shoot takedowns? His striking is good enough, but we've now seen Borshev, man. That guy throws in combinations. He puts the pressure on his opponents. Uh, he puts them on their back foot. I think it's going to be difficult for DKC to try to grapple in that fight. Um, I want to see him go back to his calf-kicking calf ways as well because that was so effective for him, man. Maybe he could be effective with it here against Borshev, but Borshev, you got to believe that, like, he's going to be ready for that. And then he's going to let his hands go. I really want to break down this fight properly. Like look at it, look at the metrics of these guys. Cause I believe Borshev is going to be a little bit bigger than DKC as well, but we can't overlook the the striking experience that Borshev has coming into the MMA world. Sure. He may be green in MMA sense, but that guy's striking looks far from green. The guy goes out there and absolutely torches his opponent. So fun fight, great lit litmus test, like you're saying, Dan. Uh, you know, getting a legitimate veteran that's in the UFC with Mark D.A. Casey here. Uh, should let us know if Borshit has the shits or not. You know what I mean? If if he's the real thing. Uh, I I'm looking forward to him, man. And I think it's in March. It's only two months away, right? So 
pretty pretty quick uh, considering that guys normally get three to four months to prepare for fights. But I'm stoked, man. I, I love Slava Kalas. That that's my dude, man. <laughs> I mean, have you seen a better uh, celebratory victory dance uh, in 2022 than Borshev? <laughs> I, I think not. But back to your point, man, about the calf kicks. And I, I'm glad you brought that up actually because. If you watch that fight between Jacasey and Drakkar close, Drakkar had so much success with the calf kick. So to see, you know, um, Jacasey get beat in that manner and then come back and implement that in, you know, in um, subsequent fights, that actually shows a lot of maturity on his part. Liam, I mean, what what kind of prospect are we dealing here with Borshev? I mean, is he ready to pass this test right now? Um, because look, Fiziev, yeah, I know now Fiziev is a top ten guy, but at the time. Fazeev was early on in his career. I think Fazeev had maybe less than 10 pro fights at the time. And he's also got that kickboxing background. Not, not comparing them, not saying they're the same guys. Just saying that, you know, lesser experienced opponents in MMA have gone out there and beaten Jacasey before. So, I mean, is this one of these matchups that really has you intrigued? Yeah, man. And uh, the reason why is because Slava has just been a, a money printing machine for me so far. Um, you know, since I've been exposed to this guy and on the contender series, I believe I got him as an underdog uh, in that spot. I want to say he was plus 120 or so. And I was like, man, this guy seems really dangerous. And and what I liked was that on his uh, regional scene, I actually think the guy just got upset as like a minus 900 in LFA uh, or some or like whatever regional he was fighting in. So uh, don't crucify this guy, but whatever his name was uh, that fought Slava early in his career, wrestler guy, D2 All-American, something like this. He had a lot of wrestling attempts, and he ends up beating Slava. I think it's a split decision. Fight could have went either way. I actually don't dispute the decision. I think it was fair. But Slava shows off a lot of like smart defensive grappling instincts in that fight. The problem is it just falls apart over time, right? Like he just can't keep the wrestling exchanges going. The guy was layering a trip in with a takedown, in with the uh, push him against the fan, and he just couldn't come up with the answers fast enough as he got tired. That's not, I don't think, going to be the case against Dia Casey. He comes out there and he wants to strike more often than not. And I think that, you know, you were mentioning the calf kicks of Mark Dia Casey. Slava, his calf kicking game is impressive, and it's, like, insanely well-timed. Like, if you try to take him down – I saw him multiple times, like eight times in the footage I watched, kick somebody's uh, lead leg when they went to penetrate on a shot out from under them. So they fell completely sideways. He is so good at timing your wrestling entries and kicking you off your feet. So I think Slava is like a handful and people don't realize it yet. So uh, I'm, I'm interested to see what's going to happen with that line movement as well. You know, a couple early knockouts is probably going to send you to that favorite distinction, especially Dia Casey coming off the loss to Alves his last time out. So, you know, that's the thing that concerns me here is once the secret's out, you know, it's going to be hard to get a good number, a playable line. That KO line might be that chalk territory moving forward as well. But I think that uh, Slava's a dangerous guy and uh, – you know, he's shown good instincts on the ground about getting back up to his feet, prioritizing getting back up to his feet, regarding, um, you know, with consistency. I don't think he's a, a bum like a lot of people were trying to paint him out as on the ground. And uh, I think he's going to keep fucking people up if they stay on the feet with him. Uh, and I mean, he can get hurt, too, but he hurts people bad. I mean, if he was a bum, he would have been submitted a bunch of times by now. Um, James, I mean, listen. One fight that I always reference with Jacasey that actually impressed me was back in the day when he fought Saevsky, how it was one-to-one -one going into that third round. 
and he made that decision to get the takedown in the third round and seal it off. And I always love stuff like that. Like I love when I can rely on a guy when it's one, one to go out there and get that takedown and win that, that third round. But I mean, he's had some ups and downs. I mean, are we still viewing him as this prospect with a lot of potential or do we kind of think that maybe it's time to move past him now, James? It's hard to say, isn't it, man? Like it's funny because MMA is a crazy sport and it's different than every other sport because the skill jumps we see, and I speak about this a lot, the skill jumps we see from fighters is like nothing we've seen in any other sport ever, not even boxing, right? Like you'll see a fighter, they'll fight in January. Then they'll fight again in July and they'll look like a completely different fighter. You know, I, I mean, or even a year later or even four months later, the skill jump some of these fighters can make is a lot. And it goes the complete other way as well, right? A fighter can look amazing and six months later, they're just done. And sometimes it's not even age. You know, some fighters are like 31 and they peak at like 25. So it's very hard to say whether this fight is done or not. And a lot of times, by the time they're done, the cat's out of the bag. You've known it already. Like they've lost four fights in a row and you look back saying, oh, wow, we should have known he was done three fights ago. But this sport is hard. And then you get them people who are up and down their whole career. So right. crazy, you know, it, it's, hard, it's hard to say. He has obviously lost his last two. It was against Hafael Fizayev, who has proved himself to be a top 10 fighter in a division. I think he's ranked in the top 15 now. And he's obviously got that uh, great fight coming up um, soon against the other Hafael to find out who's the baddest Hafael in the UFC. Um, <laughs> I'm to you guys about that one. Um, but like, I, I'll say one thing about this fight, right? Not Mark Casey, but I think Slava Claus, I think the hype is going to come to an end very soon. I think there's a lot of hype around this guy. People are speaking like he's, you know, the second coming of Christ. His striking is like nothing <laughs> we've ever seen before. Honestly, I think the guy's going to be, be in for a rude awakening in the UFC. I think he's going to get knocked out in the UFC, and I think he's going to get submitted in the UFC. I think he's, I think he's got chin issues, and I think he's got grappling issues as well. So, look, I think he's he's definitely going to win a lot of fights. Um, he already has won a UFC fight. I think the Dear Casey is a winnable fight, but I also think Dear Casey has a good shot in that fight. It's one of them ones where whoever whoever's the dog, I'm probably going to be playing. Obviously, I have to go and watch tape because. Oftentimes my opinion changes after tape, but just from what I know about Diakazi and from what I think I know about Slava, I'll probably be on Diakazi in that fight because I'm pretty sure Diakazi is going to be an underdog there. Um, I think that the hype around Slava is real, and I think that we're going to see that continue, especially after that brutal knockout. First knockout of 2022, one of the best knockouts of 2022. We don't see people crumple over like Dakota Bush did from from shots to the body often, you know. Every now and then you see a liver shot where someone just goes dead. But it's every now and then. And that was one of the now not one of the every now and then, right? So I think the hype is um gonna continue being baked into that Slava line. And I am gonna look to fade him, but I'm gonna pick my spots, you know. I didn't back Dakota Bush for a reason. Although Dakota Bush did hurt him early in that first round. And you kind of forget about that because all you remember is the liver shot knockout, which was a great knockout. But I do think the hype's going to come to an end at some point. Not sure if DK is going to be that guy to do it, though. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a blessing and a curse to have a result like he did. You know, the emphatic knockout, the celebration dance that everyone remembers. The thing is, now you're, you're not going to get to fight guys named Harry Bush in the UFC anymore. Now you're going to get to fight guys that are actually serious and that are actually going to last and are actually going to have long careers. And speaking about what you said about how some guys are ups and 
you know, ha- have a bunch of ups and downs. It's unpredictable. You know who I got to give a huge shout out to? Benil Dariush. This guy's had two fucking primes. Listen to me on this. Back in like 2016 or something, he beat Michael Johnson when Michael Johnson was the number five guy on planet Earth. I mean, that was back when, you know, Michael beat uh, Edson Barboza, Tony Ferguson, and Dustin Poirier, right? So Michael Johnson was ranked number five in the world. Benil goes out there. He wins a decision. It was kind of controversial. Actually, I was like one of the only people that scored it for Benny. But bottom line, he got the dub. So in my opinion, you beat the number five guy, you are the number five guy. So I thought Benil Dariush was a top five guy all the way back in 2016, whenever that fight happened, maybe 2017. And then he had like a really rough patch where people were saying this guy's completely done. I mean, he lost the guys that have no business beating him like Alex Hernandez. The Evan Dunham fight was a draw, which we were like, oh, my God, like Benny almost killed him in that first round. And then um, he got knocked out again. Uh, was it was it the Edson fight? There was another knockout in the three skid. Like it, it was like a brutal ass skid. I think it was Hernandez and Dunham Barbosa. and Barbosa. Yeah, so it was yeah. Barbosa. And he first. was whooping Edson's ass. That's the yeah, worst was, part of it all. <laughs> I know. I, I, know. I, bet, I, I bet him in that fight. I like good dog odds. And, yeah, I'll never forget. But, okay, so Benil had this stretch, gets knocked out brutally by Barboza, has that just blood and guts war with Evan Dunham where I said at the time, look, neither guy's going to come back the same. And as a result, their very next fights, um, Evan Dunham gets knocked out by OAM, who's not known for knocking anybody out. And Benil gets knocked out in like a couple seconds by Alex Hernandez, which if they ever ran it back, you know who I got in that fight. But at that point in that three fight, um, that three fight skid, it was kind of like, man, maybe Benny's done. Maybe he's taking too much damage. Maybe, maybe this, maybe that. The dude claws his way back up, puts up a seven to eight fight win streak. Now he's number three on planet Earth. And if he goes out there and beats Islam Makachev, he's going to be fighting for a world title. So this is one of the only dudes I've seen go out there and have two primes. Like, And I say two primes because number five in the world, 2015, 2016, goes on the kind of skid where everybody writes him off. Everybody says he's completely done. Then he puts up that win streak. Now he's one fight away from a title. So I think Benny Dariush is uh, just as a man. I mean, how can you not respect that? So real badass. Liam, do you have any comments to say about Benny before uh, we move on to Nganu and Gan? Uh, he's just one of my favorite fighters in the UFC, man. Plain and simple. I fucking love him. Uh, he's got an insane style. He's a blood and guts fighter. That's the reason why he's gotten finished before. He always pursues the finish. Uh, he comes forward on people. You know, maybe not that Tony Ferguson fight. He learned his lesson finally. He's like, yo, fuck this. Um, still looked for it a little bit, but just didn't get crazy. Kept himself positionally sound. I think that, you know, Benil Dariush, he's kind of this awkward looking guy. Doesn't look like a real fighter. Doesn't look that scary, but he's got this huge broad back when he grabs a hold of you, he can't fucking move. Like just a handful. And he also will stay in the pocket while he's completely rocked and hit you with something that drops you. And Drakkar Close learned the hard way. You know, he, he heard him and he's like, oh, I, I, I finally did it. Here I go. And then he's like, wait a second. That that was like three, four right hands in a row. And then he's doing the chicken dance across the octagon. So uh, I think that Benny, you know, he's just got danger in every position and uh, he's fun as hell. So I would love to see him get past Islam. Nothing would make me happier. He's like the nicest guy, but he fights with the biggest balls. Like, I, I'm just such a fan of his. So, Francis Ngannou versus Cyril Gan. Obviously, there's a lot of talking points there. I was happy. I mean, I had uh, Francis plus 130 in that spot, which really made up for 
you know, the the Giga the week before, right? For me, at least. Props to all y'all that had Cater. Very good job to you guys. But I had Francis there, and I was happy because everyone was like, bro, why would you bet Francis when you can just bet him by KO? And I'm like, dude, it's tough enough to pick a fucking winner, let alone a method. And in the fight prior against Stipe, I mean, we saw some elements. He took, he took down a D1 wrestler in Stipe in that fight. And even though, it, you know... It's easy to look like, you know, there's not a cardio issue when there's not much coming back at you. I mean, we can refer to like some uh, Tyron Woodley fights, like the Darren Till fight where Darren Till threw like zero strikes. So, of course, uh, Tyron looked amazing in that fight. But, uh, man, I mean, I was really impressed with the with the second Stipe fight from Francis. So he comes out here against Cyril Gaon, man. I mean, obviously, we give the first two rounds to Gaon, the next two rounds to Francis, and then the fifth round was the controversial uh, one, you know? And live, live, I actually thought that um, Francis Ngannou hit a scissor sweep on uh, Cyril Gan. But going back and then speaking to my professor, who's a first-degree black belt, you know, under Helio Gracie lineage, he actually says that the reason that happened was because uh, Cyril Gan actually uh, initiated the leg lock. Francis recognized that Cyril was about to drop back, and as a result, you know, the the scissor sweep uh, happened too. But it only happened because of Cyril Gan kind of showing that he was about to drop back. And to Cyril's credit, I mean, he has finished a UFC fight via heel hook before uh, in his early run. So, I mean, he's got confidence in that move. And then you also heard Francis talking about how back when he used to train with those guys, they'd make comments about, oh, Francis has really big feet. He'd be really easy to leg lock. Um, so Francis had that in that in his mind. And actually, you know, him, Eric Nixick, the coaches like Dewey, uh, Dewey Cooper, they plan they actually thought that this might be a possibility. So you saw that leg lock defense that he had. I know my boy Liam saw Francis and Gannon grabbing onto the wrists, turning the corner. I was very impressed by that. But most importantly, I like the fact that he comes into this fight and we and you know the narrative is first round KO or bust. Well, he actually loses the first round, loses the second round. Well, what's a champ all about? Is he going to make these adjustments? Is he going to come out here and find other avenues to win? He sh he showed a new facet to his game, goes out there and builds off, you know, he hit that takedown against Stipe, who was a D1 wrestler. That must have elevated his confidence to be like, dude, like I don't just have to knock these guys out spectacularly. Like I I can do all kinds of shit in there. And when he started mixing the takedowns, and then you go uh, to the corner, and I know in the fifth round it, it has that emotional moment with Eric Nixick talking to uh, to Francis about you know all, all the stuff. I know you guys know what I'm referring to, but if you actually listen closely to that, you should hear Dewey Cooper in the background. He's like, "Take his punk ass down." So that's like my favorite fucking part of the speech he got, man. Like, like straight up, take his punk ass down. They found the opening in the middle of the fight. They ran with it. They saw he didn't have an answer for it, and that's what champs are made of. And still, Manpre, dude, it's it's hilarious that you brought up the Dewey Cooper thing because the funniest part of it all is Dewey Cooper is the boxing coach, and he's the one going out there like, dude, let's take this guy down and let's just keep rinsing, repeating what we've been doing. But goddamn, what are the chances that a heavyweight UFC fight for the title? comes down to the fifth round and comes down to whether Cyril Gaon went for a leg lock and gave up that position and Francis Ngannou hitting a scissor sweep or whatever it was to get on top and actually ride it out that way. Like, nobody could 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 call that. I don't know any – like, sure, you can say that Ngannou 
likely would have had a wrestling path if that's the way that he took it because of the improvements that we saw in the second fight. But, like, did anybody expect it to even get to that point? Like, I don't think we'd even have seen it. And then I remember after the second round, I had three units on Cyril gone around minus 115, minus 120 is the line that I got. And I had a, a little sprinkle on his round four and round five props as well because I'm like, Francis, if he looks like what he looked like in the first Deepay fight later in these rounds, he's more than likely going to get finished by a guy like Cyril gone. But who the fuck saw Francis Ngannou coming back, winning rounds three, four, and five the way that he did, right? Like nobody expected that at all. And just as a side note, back-to-back -back weekends, heavyweight title fights going five rounds, Bellator and UFC. Kind of interesting to think about the development of the heavyweight division. But, man, shout-out to Francis Ngannou winning in a way I really did not expect him to win. And I will say this. There was one time I faded Cyril Gan before the – or and ever, actually – when he was scheduled to fight Auntie Dalia, if you guys remember, he was scheduled to fight Sirogan. Plus 500 was the line on Dalia. And the one thing that I came into that was we haven't seen Sirogan's grappling tested at all. And this guy is nothing but a grappler. So let's take this little bit of a shot and see how it goes down. And that completely escaped my brain for this Francis Ngannou fight to be like, of, of course there's a wrestling path, but I really didn't expect Francis to take it, man. So shout out to Francis. What a way to win the fight. Like it may not have been the most exciting for a casual viewer, but for us, I'm sure we we're all losing our shit every time we're seeing them jockeying for a position. So uh, yeah, man, it, it was great. Good win for him. It's a good thing for, you know, fighter pay and all that stuff. Say what you want about all the, the fallout from this fight and how that's going to go down with the negotiations and how things could possibly change but man that that was that was a championship performance the last thing i'll say about this when you were talking about it down in terms of the mid-fight adjustments the championship mindset to make those mid-fight adjustments the one fight that came to mind or fighter specifically was john jones when he fought alexander gustafson at ufc 165 that was one of those fights where he got pushed further than he had ever gotten pushed during that run. And there's a mid-fight adjustment he made. I think it was in round three where he lands uh, a beautiful spinning back elbow, hurts Alexander Gustafson, and then starts to take over the rest of the fight. That's some championship shit, and that's exactly what uh, Francis Ngannou achieved that night. So, yeah, great fight. Saragon will be back. Shout out to Clarice Blades calling out Saragon after seeing the wrestling clinic that Francis Ngannou put on him. But uh, hopefully Saragon gets in there with, you know, maybe a Marcin Taibura. Let the guy get his confidence back first. Let him defend a couple takedowns and then put him in there with the best wrestler in that viewing division. But, uh, yeah, shout out to Francis for getting that dub the way that he did. James, you know what's interesting in terms of, like, just, like, recency bias and just basing things off one performance is, like, for example – Okay, going into the Giga versus Cater fight, right? Like, so tons of people had the dog odds on Cater, and they were super sharp, but they were very low on Giga at the time, right? Like, and then after that fight, Giga kind of gained their respect, whereas I had money on Giga, and I was just pissed off, right? Because, you know, I thought he was going to, you know, put a striking clinic on the guy. Now, fast forward to Nganu and Gan. Um, everybody was super high on Cyril Gan, but now all of a sudden, no one's talking about him being a future world champion anymore. Whereas I had money on Nganu, and now I'm even higher on Gan, and I actually do think Gan is going to be a future world champion. I just thought he had to take his first L, and I think that that's the perfect learning lesson to bounce back from. Like, we cannot forget this guy, like, 
it's one thing to beat these washed up heavyweights like JDS and this and that, but but this dude Gan, he beat Volkov in a five round fight. He beat Jarzinho. Um, there he's got one other win over someone who's uh who's relevant to. Uh, let me pull up the oh Derek Lewis, dude. So he's beat three guys that are still relevant in the top five of, of the heavyweight division. Like I'm not writing Gone off at all, James. Manpreet, did you want to jump in, brother? I, I just wanted to quickly say during that uh, during that fight, like mid after the second round, I remember in my Discord channel, somebody uh, said who was going to beat Cyril Gunn because it was looking like he was going to go on to win that fight. And I had interjected Curtis Blades as his most interesting matchup because we haven't seen the grappling tested. And then everybody's shitting on me. They're like, oh, what are you talking about? It's not going to happen. Curtis Blades is going to get nuked. And then two rounds later, I'm like, does anybody want to take back the Curtis Blades comment? Like, this is the worst stylistic matchup for Cyril Gunn, given how that fight went. But yes, continue on, James. I apologize. But yeah, James, for- real, real quick, real quick. Sorry, sorry to cut you off. But let me say this. Can we at all credit that to the element of surprise? Because there's there's a chance that Cyril was just planning for Francis to come out here headhunting, whereas you dedicate an entire camp to training for Curtis Blades, you're going to be wrestling every single fucking day, man, Pre. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree in that aspect, right? You have to be ready for certain situations and certain matchups. That's why guys don't really like to take short notice matchups against completely different stylistic matchups. So, yeah, I kind of understand that. But you got to believe that Curtis Blades wrestling, no matter how many months you're training for it, it it's going to be tough to overcome. Yeah, I, I feel – look, I feel like we definitely credit that a little bit to um, the element of surprise, right? But I think more what we credit that to – is the element of beast because Francis Ngannou is an absolute physical beast. I mean, the guy cuts to heavyweight. Now, I know he came in a little bit lighter um, this time around, but, you know, he was training for that fight for a long time. So, I mean, walking around today, the guy's over the heavyweight limit. You know, the guy's 275 pounds and he cuts he cuts to heavyweight. The guy's an absolute monster, right? His strength in them grappling situations, just naturally, without the technique, is insane you know weight is a huge and liam will notice and every everyone will notice you know we all uh, most of us you know train we watch the fights we will all know that in striking weight is obviously you know it plays a part but it doesn't play as much of a part as grappling right when the wrestling when the jujitsu like i know i know people who train at my gym they're not that good right they're white belts in jujitsu they tap out blue belts because they're way stronger. You know, they power lift. They can fucking deadlift 400 pounds. They're way stronger than these blue belts. And they tap them out. That's purely because of size. And I think what we saw there was just Francis and Ganu had 30 pounds on Cyril Gan, And not only 30 pounds, a natural 30 pounds, right? I mean, the guy, I know we, Joe Rogan speaks about this. People speak about this a lot, right? The guy was digging sand when he was a kid. He's got that natural strength. So, I mean... He's an absolute beast, Francis Ngannou. Going forward, now that we know he can implement a grappling game plan and he doesn't mind implementing a grappling game plan, I mean, who's going to be able to defend that? Like, uh, it's it's it, honestly, it's insane to see his development, but it's also scary because we've never, ever seen a fighter like Francis Ngannou before in the history of the heavyweight division, in my opinion. Just that natural strength. The guy cuts down to heavyweight, like I said. We've never seen anyone like it, as athletic as that, you know? One punch power, grappling. I mean, the guy seems to have way better cardio now. I mean, it, it's absolute insanity. But to go back to your point, Dan, are we still high on Cyril Gunn? 
Absolutely. I think also we've never seen a guy like Cyril Gant in the heavyweight division before. People were saying that before the fight and after the fight, they're like, oh, he can't defend the takedown. We've never seen someone with the movement of Cyril Gant at 240 pounds. You know, he is going to be a tough fight. He's going to beat every single person in that division, in my opinion, apart from maybe Curtis Blades. You know, obviously he has to go back. I think he can have a lot of development in his game because we have to remember Cyril Gant has been training MMA. For a very short amount of time, just like Francis Ngannou. He hasn't been training MMA for a long time at all. He's naturally gifted at this. So, you know, these people who are naturally gifted, like Francis Ngannou, they make huge developments, as we saw from Stipe 1, didn't know how to defend a takedown, to Stipe 2, defended a takedown, got his own takedown, took the back, and almost knocked him out from a grappling scenario. So these fighters who are naturally athletic, naturally gifted at the game, they make developments like that. So I think Cyril Garn can definitely make huge developments in the wrestling. But just to conclude, I mean, about that fight, amazing performance from, from Francis and Garnu. And Cyril Garn, he was putting on a masterclass for the first two rounds. You know, even though it wasn't like dominating, it was a masterclass. He did exactly what he needed to do. So I'm super high on both guys. I come out of that fight higher on both guys than I was Maybe, obviously, a, a little bit lower in the wrestling department for Cyril. But as I said, I do think he can improve that. So I think Francis Ngannou and Cyril Ghana are the future of the heavyweight divisions. And I have to give a shout out to my boy Tom Aspinall because he's from the UK like me. So I don't know where he's going to go, but I do like his style as well. But honestly, them two, I think they're the future of the heavyweight division. And I'm higher on both guys, apart from the wrestling of Ghana, than I was pre-fight. Yeah, I mean, I like this kid Aspinall, uh, too. He's been a money machine. And, and I have this theory, and I've talked about it on the show before, because you know how Dana and Francis have their little thing going on, which I do think they're going to resolve, by the way. There's no fucking way they let Francis go fight anywhere else. Would you, are you kidding me? Like, could you imagine the travesty of Francis fighting in Bellator or PFL? It, it, it's just not going to happen. Like, there's no way. But um, I truly believe that had Francis beat Stipe the first time, that he would be like the Mike Tyson of the sport, a global superstar. And the way that they hyped him up going into that fight, I mean, the Ford Escort, you, you know, that comparison, the whole thing, the, the promo of that fight. Like, I watched the promo of that fight like every day on the lead up to, uh, to that fight. I mean, it just gets you so fucking pumped. And I truly believe, man, that had he beat Stipe that first night, like he did the second time, he'd be the biggest star in the sport. But that first Stipe fight combined with the Derek Lewis fight, it killed so much momentum. And I think it actually might have ruffled feathers among the brass and pissed them off because they, I feel like they, they felt like they had a gold mine in their hands. And then the, the reports come back, and I don't know if there's any truth to this or not, but it says the, the pay-per-view only did like 200,000. I hope that's bullshit. I hope that's not wrong. But we can talk about that another time. Liam, on a side note, man, have we even seen Francis and Ganu's final form yet? You know, I think that maybe we have. You know, I think maybe that was the apex of Francis and Ganu's abilities. And that's yet to be seen, but he's going to be coming back off knee surgery the next time that we see him. You know, what was partially impressive about this performance was that he had a severe knee injury going into it. And I don't think that's been discussed. Uh, on the outro of this fight nearly enough. You know, everybody's talking about, you know, Cyril Gant danced around him on the feet. And I agree, but I think that Francis, you know, implemented a smart game plan. He worked the body consistently, uh, which I think tired Cyril Gant more than we've ever seen before in a UFC fight. He's gone five rounds without looking uh, as weathered as he did in this fight. 
And, you know, the grappling down the stretch had something to do with that as well. But I think that the reason that the grappling opened itself up was because he was a little bit tired uh, from some of that body work. And that's Francis operating on limited power, limited ability to move, limited ability to plant. Uh, but he's going to be, you know, probably 36 and coming off knee surgery the next time we see him. So, yes, we've seen miraculous things from Francis. Uh, but, you know, this might have been, you know, that real shining achievement. Um, it took him, uh, you know, that rebuilding period where the UFC kind of kept him on ice and he didn't really get a lot of octagon time. But I, you know, I don't want to take a victory lap here, but I, I actually did have this matchup pegged pretty well. Uh, I ended up betting on Francis Ngannou, but I also talked about the fact that I was backing him because uh, he has the knockout threat. He's got underrated wrestling in his back pocket and he's got championship experience. Uh, and that was the difference here. Um, he knew that he could go to other parts of his game when he needed to. He did so. He didn't get himself out over his skis. He fought conservatively. We've never seen him do that before. Uh, and it's because he was limited. So I don't know if he could have knocked out Cyril Ghan on this night, uh, not able to plant properly on his leg. Certainly the chances were greatly diminished. So instead of fighting a losing battle where he swings for the head all night, like he did against Stipe when he was completely gassed, and not getting much productive work done. He changed his game plan mid-fight, and that's a championship-level adjustment. It's it's the reason why we've seen him go through these pitfalls. We've seen him learn the lesson. Dan, you always talk about paying your dues, and I thought that this was a perfect example of the UFC guys. They did the same fucking thing twice, and they fucked it up twice. They said, we're going to throw our hat in the ring behind this fancy-looking challenger who's three years into their career and who's looking like they've got it all figured out and who looks like the fresh young kid on the block, and everybody likes him, and he's a handsome, happy guy, and everybody's going to like him. But the problem is they're four years into their career. They can still make mistakes. They're not as proven. They're not as seasoned. And it's the biggest show. It's the biggest pressure. Now the UFC is prodding you in the back. Like, come on, do it for us, big guy. Now that's a lot. Now your coach is saying, we can't lose. We cannot lose to this guy. You cannot. I, dude, I'd be shitting my pants if my coach is telling me, we can't lose to this guy. You need to get this one right now, Liam. I'm like, okay, come on, coach. Like, uh, it just so much pressure on Cyril Gunn's back. You think he's not going to make a silly mistake? I, I, I thought like it was an it was shocking that he didn't make more silly mistakes uh, with the amount of pressure that was on him. That's why I was so impressed by this Cyril Gunn character uh, because with the weight of the world on his shoulders, you know he was one bad decision away from potentially being a world champion um, and not not very deep into a UFC career. Uh, I think Cyril Ghosn is the real deal. I wrote in my article that he will be a UFC champion. It's just not going to be this time. And I think that he will be back. Um, he could beat, he could beat Francis Ngannou, ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake. If they run this fight again, uh, you know, I bet, uh, Stipe the first time Francis, the second time, this is looking like another one of those situations. Um, because I do think that Cyril Ghosn can close those gaps, uh, between fight one and fight two, if he gets that opportunity, uh, and I also think that, you know, we see that fresh crop of contenders uh, are some young guys who are fast in the hands, uh, who are developing some of those grappling skills themselves, and who could maybe challenge Ngannou in some of these realms where, you know, it's one thing to be a better wrestler than the kickboxing guy, than the, the tie boxing guy. It's another thing to be a better wrestler than the wrestlers uh, when they get there. So, Man, I'm interested to see how this plays out, but how can you not come away more impressed by Francis Ngannou, uh, who responds to adversity, pressure? Uh, you know, he had a lot of those same weights and considerations on his back, and he comes through with flying colors and and in a style that's not uh, normally something he would do. It's just, you know, 
a beacon of inspiration. Yeah, I mean, fantastic points. And it's kind of like when Dana White goes on Contender Series and he says, I think this kid will be in the UFC one day, just not Saturday night. That's what I said on my breakdown. I think Cyril Gaon will be a future UFC world champion, just not Saturday night. But I agree with 99.9% of everything you said. The only thing I got a bone to pick with is this. So I asked you, is has Francis Ngannou reached his final form? You said there's a chance he has 36 years old. But... 36 years old at heavyweight. Heavyweight's kind of peak a bit later compared to the lighter weight class. Like, if this was 36 at bantamweight, then, yeah, yeah, it's safe to say it. Or, or, you know, featherweight, it's safe to say final form. But honestly, man, I've seen some of these heavyweights come out here, 38, 39, even 40, have some of their best uh, career performances. So I still think he's got more to give, Liam. And it's very possible. I just don't want people to get this idea that he beat the best guy. He beat this guy that I thought was unbeatable. So now he's unbeatable. It's like, no, guys, that's the whole message of this is that even somebody as good as Cyril Gunn, who does everything right, he could slip on a freaking banana peel. So we got to be very careful. And especially in heavyweight, it's a game of inches. Francis Ngannou, if he slows down marginally, that could be it. You know, he takes clean shots on the chin. I went through, I watched every fight in his whole career. The guy is remarkably good. But it's not like he's the picture of defensive consistency. He's a freaking durable monster, so he's not afraid to get hit. And at heavyweight, if you're 36 and coming off knee surgeries and slowing down just a touch, it could all change in an instant. And I think Steve Miocic learned that the hard way, right? Got in a couple hard fights, came out the other side looking fresh. He's like, Daniel Cormier, 205-pounder, what does that mean to me? Thank, knocked out. It's like that's all it takes is one of these moments – and everything changes at heavyweight. And I think Stipe is actually better than Daniel, skill for skill at, at heavyweight. Uh, and that was borne out over the course of the trilogy. But it's like, it doesn't matter. It's heavyweight. And it's it's banana peel season. And uh, don't don't be thinking Francis Ngannou minus 300 now. It's just like, oh, we can ship it for all the units uh, because Francis just delivers for the boys. It's like every match, case-by-case case basis. This was a, a good opportunity, I think, uh, to back Francis. At, at, in a place where he's being disrespected. But now you think he's going to be disrespected again? Uh, unlikely. Yeah, I'm curious to see what the next matchup is. Uh, before we move on to Davison versus Brandon, uh, Manpreet, uh, James, anything to add on uh, this in versus Ghana? Are you all good? Yeah, I just wanted to say just, just one thing of what we was talking about. You know, France is minus 400 every fight. He's unbeatable. At the end of the day, you know, no matter what narratives we talk about, coaches, you know, how the fight played out, he almost lost that fight. You know, it, it, it wasn't like, wow, you know, he did show us more in the wrestling. It wasn't like, wow, you know, like we never knew he could do this amazing performance. Not really. I mean, he got outclassed for two rounds, in my opinion, and gone if he didn't go for the leg lock, which everyone has sort of accepted now that that is what happened. If he didn't go for the leg lock, he wins the fight, right? Like it literally, if he didn't sit up, he wins the fight. So let's just pump the brakes on like unbeatable Francis, just like Liam was saying. He doesn't even need to have to get knocked out. He almost got beat one fight ago. So just wanted to say that. <laughs> Factual. Manpreet, anything? No, keep going. All right. So Davison Figueredo, Brandon Moreno, the trilogy. Uh, so first fight, I scored it four to one. Uh, Davis and Figueredo. In my opinion, even with the point deduction, he won that fight. I think it's it's ridiculous that a judge had that fifth round for 
uh, Brandon Moreno, thus turning it into a draw, which it should have been a decision win for, for Davison. Next fight, Brandon mopped the floor with Davison. I mean, and that just kind of let me think that like those first two fights were so drastically different that this is one of those examples where you talk about what happens if they fight 10 times because it's literally going to be a different outcome every single time. So when you give me plus 160 on Davison, I was in. I don't know what the fuck's going to happen. I just know that he's got the potential to beat him. Hopefully he shows up. Well, he moved out of Brazil, which is a big, which is a huge deal because this is a guy that was having a bunch of weight issues. I mean, he missed weight for his first title fight, which is like, that is like a big, big no-no. But you got to understand when you're in Brazil and your mom's cooking the Brazilian barbecue, I mean, the Brazilian churrascas, the steakhouses are literally walking distance from you. I mean, I mean, dude, it's hard not to eat that, especially when you're training your ass off. You're so fucking hungry. I mean, like, dude, you're, you're going to be eating down that steak all day. So he had to make a big change in order to get the result he wants because he got mopped that second fight. The dude leaves Brazil, moves to Arizona with Henry Cejudo, trains at Fight Ready, not just Fight Ready, at NeuroForce One, which is the strength and conditioning uh, place that they use for the Fight Ready guys. And, I mean – those guys are like scientists. They like know the little intricate details of things that I don't even know the half of. And if you actually go to NeuroForce One's Instagram page, they show like a side-by-side progress. I'm not talking about a picture. I'm talking about the numbers that Davison was putting up at the beginning of his camp compared to eight weeks later at the end. And it's like his athleticism just improved his speed, his power, everything. So he was scientific about this. And on the other side of things, uh brandon was the one that just won the belt brandon was the one going on the victory tours i mean the first mexican champion you got to understand how big of a deal that is so i took the shot on davison came through i mean look it was a close ass fight it was three to two great great fight unbelievable i mean i see i think if they run it back and you give me plus 160 on brandon i'm in right like you give me plus 160 on either of these guys either time and i'm in and it happened to go my way. Like this is one of those spots where if they would have given it to Brandon, I would have still made that bet again. Cause I, I felt like in a fight that close plus plus one sixty, that's the value. But Hey, now Davison's the champ. And like I told you all earlier, I think Brandon takes six months off, dude. Like you've been through so much. Like, why don't you just relax for a little bit when you're ready to come back, the title fight will be waiting for you. But I think that Davison's got uh, a date coming up with uh, the winner of Askarov and, uh, and Kai Kara France, man, Preet. Yeah, that that's the absolutely that's the move right there. That's the number one contender fight easily. I wouldn't mind seeing Moreno when he does come back fight Roy Val. Let's run that fight back. Yeah, I mean they fought the first time. It was such a weird finish the first time. Let's get them to actually uh, run it back once again. In regards to the Davison and and Moreno fight, I was right there with you on that plus money on Figueroa. But it, it's just we all four of us we make content on a weekly basis and we see like the the comments and all that shit. People saying you know oh you know Moreno mopped the floor with them last time. How could you even pick Figueredo? He's 34 years old now. You know, he's slowing down. He's regressing. Like, how can you say a fighter is regressing after one loss when this guy was at the top of his game, right? And a fight where he was a minus 240 favorite in and had a damn good, like Dan was saying, a damn good argument for winning the first fight as well if that incompetent judge didn't score that fifth round for uh, Moreno. Uh, even on MMA decisions, go on MMA decisions, 96% of people said Figueredo should have won that fifth round. Normally, it's like 80% when you get a decent like uh, group of people voting on one side. 96% 
it couldn't have been more clear. Anyway, um, yeah, great, great work from Figure there. I, I do actually want to reference a fight that's happening next week because I feel like the circumstances are similar there as well. Pick'em fight, Adesanya Whitaker first time around. Now you got what uh, Israel Adesanya blew up to like minus 250, minus 260. Again, pick'em last time. That's all I'm going to say. Just when you guys are looking into that fight, keep that in mind. Uh, Figueredo, I'm glad with the, the game plan that he went out there and it executed a lot of it. I, I was trying to get it out of Eddie Chaw uh, in terms of letting me know what the what the approach was for that fight. And the only thing that he would let me know is like, we want to leg kick as much as possible. Keep the, the activity visible just by throwing leg kicks. And then when the strikes start to open up for us, we're going to capitalize on that as well. Obviously, it could have gone a lot better because... It's interesting how much he invested in it in that first round, especially with that calf kick. It seemed like he was hitting the calf, he was hitting the leg, and then he started to wane off of it a little bit. He'd go back to it every now and then. I just never understand why fighters don't continuously attack it how they do when they start off the fight. There's been so many fights in the past where the guy batters that lead wheel of his opponent, and then they neglect it and just let their hands start going and completely don't even bother with the leg kick anymore. But great from Figueredo, great game plan. They executed it to a T, and that just shows you why, the you know, as analysts and predictors as ourselves, we can't get sucked into that overreaction of a betting market or anything like that. Like, we can't get sucked into... You know, uh, what, you know, why are certain, like, like Israel Adesanya, again, I just keep going back to that, maybe because I just taped it a little bit earlier, right? Like, he's such a huge favorite against Jan Blahovic that everybody thinks it's a foregone conclusion that he wins that fight. And he gets notably beaten in the striking realm for the first two rounds by Jan Blahovic. And then he gets taken down in, like, the, the latter rounds there as well. Uh, and now, again, like, there's just so many things that we have to take into consideration. But that Figueredo plus 160 Wow, beautiful fucking bet. And I, I, I'd absolutely do the same thing in the rematch. If it's Moreno plus 160, likewise. It's a close fucking fight. It's a coin flip. And if the odds represent anything other than that, we have to take advantage of that situation. But Figgy, Askarov uh, will probably be the next fight. I don't want to run off my guy Karakara France too quickly there, but uh, I feel like we're going to get Askarov versus Figgy probably later this year. Man, Pri, let me say this. So... On one hand, I mean, you are so correct that no two fights are built alike. I mean, every fight is different. So from that point of view, I mean, I cannot I cannot debate. The only fundamental difference I'll bring up is that we actually had a reference point of Figgy beating Moreno the first time, four to one, getting mopped the second time. So, like, at least we knew, like, you know, on his best day, he could still beat this guy. Whereas the Whitaker Adesanya fight, I'm not saying Whitaker can't win the fight. I mean, you see a plus 200 on Whitaker, I can understand why you'd be tempted. He's world class. Um, it's just we don't have that reference point of him having success against Adesanya like we did with Figgy and Moreno the first time. That's the I, only difference I have. I, I believe that's kind of baked into the line as well in terms of why he's a plus 220-ish at this point in time compared to the plus 160 that Figueredo was in their fight. But if you just take the external factors going into that fight for Whitaker and kind of see how it matches up with what he's saying happened in the fight, the one thing that he keeps echoing after that fight was that he wanted to take Izzy's head off. Like he wanted to go in there, be aggressive and try to knock him out. That's not how you fight Izzy. You know you're going to get countered. You're going to get knocked out. That's exactly what happened to Whitaker. So the fact that he like admitted to that 
and you see that, like you see him way more patient in other fights. We've never really seen him that aggressive in, in past fights. And I thought he was doing damn well until he got caught at the end of that first round. And then after that, that's when things start to change. So I'm interested to see now, let's run it back. How often does Israel Adesanya knock him in the second round? And I'm willing to take the gamble again at plus 220, whatever it is, on, on Whitaker, who's probably, the, you know, if he's not the best guy in the division, he's the second best guy, right? Like he is so complete. And we've seen a complete evolution in his game, even during this three-fight run that he's on since getting knocked out by Adesanya. So uh, I'm not trying to divulge into that matchup as much anymore, but I just felt it was kind of important, especially talking about the Figueredo and Moreno fight. You are correct that we have that first fight as a better gauge in terms of they can go five rounds and it'll be competitive and they just will likely win. Hopefully we get that with Adesanya and Whitaker as well because, again, people are just running off with this line. Like, he's going to murk him again. That That's MMA. He murked him once. He's going to murk him again. That's it. Talk about fucking Robert Whitaker here, folks. One of the best guys at 185 pounds. So I will rest my case there. <laughs> I, I mean, it makes me happy that it's in neutral territory. It's in the United States yes. here. Um and there's gonna be a lot less pressure on him so i'm happy about that james uh what are you thinking here man as far as you know your assessment of davison and and brandon and if you want to comment on the izzy rob talk feel free you know i got a comment on my boy because he's right behind me right now so i gotta watch what i say i know dan can't maybe can't see but that's my man israel behind there so i gotta watch okay, what nice. I say. I'm, in, I'm in new zealand i have to represent israel but just on the Davidson Figueredo, Brandon Moreno side, um, one thing I did want to say, because you mentioned NeuroForce One, those guys are geniuses. And if anybody listening now is like really nerdy about health, performance, the human body, sleep, athletic performance, all of that stuff, go and watch NeuroForce One. They appeared on Joe Rogan podcast about two years ago. Uh, it's really insightful to watch because they speak about Henry. Great Sudo's episode. Camp. Great episode. They, they speak about Henry Cejudo's camp and what they do with fighters and it's super interesting man i mean that was two years ago and they're still ahead of their time now the information on that podcast but you know another thing that gives credence to them is that i was just checking figueredo's um weigh-ins in the, in the ufc and in his entire career while you guys were talking and he flights a flyweight right 125 pounds he weighed in at 124 pounds for his last fight against brandon moreno it's the lightest he's ever weighed in his entire career. He's never come in 124 pounds in his entire career. I know you guys remember two years ago when he's coming in 127 pounds, 128 pounds versus Joe B the first time. You know, the guy regularly comes in at 125, 126, and all of a sudden he comes in at 124, and he has an amazing performance, you know, against Brandon Moreno, who's impossible to defeat, uh, impossible to stop, I should say, and he has one of the best performances of his career in terms of the five-round performance. So, what they can do there is uh, legit. And obviously that was a solid um, decision for him to go back. And at the age of 34 at flyweight, he's coming in the lightest he's ever come in before. So that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I thought that was a good fight. Uh, I actually bet on Figueredo in the first fight. He was at like minus 250, I think, when I got him. So in my opinion, wasn't a great bet. But he looked about minus 200, minus 225 anyway in that fight. I thought he won four to one, like he said. Um but Brandon Moreno definitely did enough in that fight to make me back Brandon Moreno in the second fight. So I got Brandon Moreno at plus 200 there. And in the third fight, I'm kicking myself for not backing Figgy because I did think it was going to be a close fight. Instead, I just stuck with the over 2.5 rounds. I had a fairly hefty bet on that. I put the four units on it. So I didn't want any overexposure 
to that outcome because obviously we saw the fight go just under two and a half rounds in the previous fight and Brandon Moreno won that. So I didn't want any more exposure to that. Uh, I took the over 2.5 rounds, cash with ease. Um, but look, that's a great trilogy. And we did speak about that a little bit when we were speaking about the flyweights at the start of this podcast. Um, and as I as I said there, I don't want to see a full fight. You know, As you said, give Brandon Moreno some time, even give Figgy some time. Anytime you go for a trilogy where three fights happen within, what, 15 months of each other or something like that, it wasn't too long, right? I know the first two fights weren't long at all. So anytime fighters go through that, give them some time to relax, you know? I am interested to see where Figgy goes after this because he is 34 years old. And although he had a great performance at Neuroforce 1, flyweight, 34 years old, I don't think he can go for too much longer, you know. He just came out on top against his toughest test of his career. In my opinion, wouldn't it be a bad time for Figgy to hang up the, the, the gloves, you know. He can go out on a great win. He capped off a dominant trilogy, really. You know, he won most of the rounds. They've got the, those guys have fought. Um, so it's interesting to see where, the, where he goes after this because I do think he's going to get beat and he's going to lose his belt if he keeps on fighting because I do think he's a little bit regressive, which is... Hard to say because of what we just seen, but I do think he's regressing. Uh, in terms of the Robert Whitaker, Israel Adesanya, I'll just touch on that a little bit quickly. Um, I haven't taped it, so I really want to look it into it. As Dan said, if you ever see Robert Whitaker at plus 225, plus 200, you instantly want to back him. He's one of the best fighters in the 185-pound division, like Manpreet said. I'll also go a step further and say he's one of the best fighters in 185-pound history. Now, I know Dan's a little bit more of a historian than me. So, I mean, you may disagree with me. I don't know. But I believe he's one of the best. that Robert Wick is one of the best fighters at 185-pound history. Oh, yeah. That'd be, that'd be categorically false for me to disagree with you on that. Right. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, anytime you see plus 225, it's like you want to back him, right? And I will say that it is intriguing, but I will need to go watch the fight. I think that Israel Adesanya... Is definitely going to have his number on the feet. I think it's only a matter of time before he catches him. I think Robert Whitaker has to mix in takedowns to win this fight. I don't think he can win the fight on the feet. Nobody's really had success mixing in takedowns against Adesanya, except for Vittori in the first fight, when Adesanya was a little bit more tired, and then obviously Jan Blakowicz in the fourth and fifth rounds, but I believe the strength took a lot out of him on that one. Was that, Dan, was you going to chime in, bro? I was just going to make a joke. Uh, what was the name of that first guy he fought? The dude that fought CR, Baja Derzada. Um, Rob Wilkins? Rob yeah, Wilkinson? Rob Wilkinson. <laughs> no, it was just a joke. I think he might have taken him down. but yeah. I think yes. he landed three takedowns. <laughs> landed three takedowns and uh, one. It's, it's, it's irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. Lost 50-45, um, you know. I think Israel Adesanya has got his number on the feet. I don't think too many people would disagree with me with that. Five rounds is a lot of time to for Israel Adesanya to land that shot, you know. And although Israel is like up and down in terms of wherever he wins on points or wherever he wins by knockout, it's kind of what his opponent brings to him. I think Israel Adesanya should be a sizable favorite in that one. But again, I'm going to have to do the research because we have seen Rob, I don't want to say have a resurgence because he basically did it what he was doing prior to the first Adesanya fight in his last three fights. So I'm not going to call it some resurgence and a new level we've seen from Robert. I feel like he was doing that before, you know, against Yoel Romero. Maybe you could say he got slightly better. I mean, he did have clinical performances last time out against Gastelum and stuff. 
But Gastelum's not Adesanya. And, you know, I definitely favor Adesanya in that one. But I'm definitely excited to see it. Either way, I think Rob's going to perform a lot better than he did last time out. I don't think he's going to get knocked out twice. You know, I will say that now. So anything is better than getting knocked out twice. So I'm excited for that one for sure. Uh, Liam, what you got to say? There's a lot There's a lot to unpack here, my man. Yeah, well, you know, I'll move quickly through that flyweight fight because I got it completely wrong. And, uh, you know, I, I thought that we were going to just see a changing of the guard. You know, it's a, a rematch of a title fight that we had seen pretty recently. And it was, you know, a fight that was on the margins the first time. But, you know, clearly every close round was going to uh, Figueredo, right? So, like, I thought Figueredo won that fight as well. But then we saw Moreno make some adjustments, fight smart, fight within his tight shell. And I thought he looked great. So I was like, man, this guy, maybe he's, you know, made the improvements, the adjustments. I thought he was going to be a much better grappler uh, than Figueredo. And, and what we saw was, you know, Brandon didn't try to proactively grapple very much in this fight. And when he did, Figgy was able to get the feet on hips and get back up to the feet. You know, I don't think Brandon created enough opportunities for himself there uh, because he had a lot of success in the opening or excuse me, in the second fight uh, by putting Figgy on his back. But, um, you know, it, it, it seemed to me like Brandon got caught up in an ego fight and, uh, you know, especially getting dropped early. He wanted to get it back and he rocked Figgy a couple times. He just couldn't get that same, you know, one impactful knockdown. And he's kind of that loose, flowy, bouncy footwork that can sometimes when you get cracked on the chin, send you flying backwards in a, a back roll uh, that looks horrible optically. So I think that was what cost him there. And, um, you know, maybe he'll learn from that. You know, I think Brandon's still a tough kid and, and a talented kid, so he could be back in the title scene. But I agree with James. I don't really want to see that next. Um, let's get some fresh matchups, some fresh uh, parity in the octagon. But as far as this 85 pound title is concerned, you know, um, I, I respect James' opinion immensely, so I'm going to have to do my research before I make a, a wager here. Uh, plus 240 seems very um, high in terms of a price on Robert Whitaker. I'm seeing that on the market right now. So, um, yeah, I would think it's a dogger pass situation on, on first look. Rob has pretty decent wrestling entries. Um, and I think that Marvin Vittori, you know, he's kind of uh, meat and potatoes, a lot of boxing from the outside doesn't really do that much to get in to the pocket. Whereas I think Rob's kicking game will give a couple more uh, opportunities to try and disguise takedown entries. But, you know, ultimately Rob does get countered on those blitzes sometimes coming in, even by the likes of Darren Till uh, and some of the guys who aren't, um, you know, on Izzy's level. And so it concerns me the amount of damage he's taken over the course of his career uh, against somebody who hits like Israel Adesanya and who can find that target uh, so consistently. So I think it's a great fight, a compelling fight. Izzy's definitely the deserved favorite. We saw how the fight played out the first time, but you know, it's a line getting a little steep when we have a striker versus striker type of matchup where one guy who might have the grappling upside is going to be like 30% uh, percent or lower indication that that seems a little bit low to me. Um, but you know, we have seen that the striking dynamics uh, exchange over exchange favor Izzy. He's a little bit more layered uh, and he's longer. So he's got that pullback offense that he's able to pull off. I think it's a, I think it's a tricky fight, but I'm, I'm excited to see it. And one last thing, because uh, James, you're talking about Figgy retiring soon. I need him to do one thing before he retires. I need him to get just one more finish because if he gets one more finish, 
he breaks the record for all-time finishes in the flyweight division. So let the guy go out there with a record. I mean, he's already the only two-time flyweight champion in UFC history. He's defended the belt before. All we need is that record for most finishes. Then after that, set off, sail off into the sunset, my man. But I do kind of want to see him get a couple more big paychecks. I feel like the flyweight division is really emerging right now, and it's at the biggest place it's ever been because, I mean, like, Davison doesn't even speak English, and he's putting in more effort in promoting fights than, you know, that that other champion we had back in the day. So um, uh, Z says who's got the record right now. Right now it's actually tied between uh, Davison and Demetrius. They both got seven finishes each, but Davison gets one more. He gets that eight. I mean, he's already number one. I'm just saying – if he wants to be number one and not tied with anyone else, he's got to go out there and get one more finish. So once he does that, he's the all-time leader. So I'm excited to see that. Uh, man, Pri, I know uh, you had to dip out, man. I truly appreciate you stepping in here, giving us a couple minutes of your time, man. Always a pleasure talking with you. Uh, anything you want to tell the fans? Go ahead. Uh, not much, man. I'm glad for the invites. I would love to do this more often with you guys. This is dope, dope. just to shoot the shit, no real agenda, just kind of uh, chop it up with you guys. It's always fun to just talk to guys that are like-minded in a sense with uh, how much we love the sport and uh, kind of how we view it as well. So shout out to you guys. Uh, again, I just stumbled upon this. I'm like, shit, all three of these guys too? Let's 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 get it in. So uh, I was glad that I was able to get it in with you guys. Uh, but yeah, shout out to everybody watching. Obviously, drop a like and subscribe for my guy, Dan. Uh, always kill Shout out for that Jamal Hill interview earlier today. Um, and shout out for the double header, man. You, you really killed it today as well. So, yeah, good luck on everybody's wagers this coming week. There's a ton of content still to come out throughout the week for all, from all four of us. Uh, so I uh, hope everybody enjoys it and appreciate the continued support from the entire community. Peace out, guys. Yes, sir. You deserve it, buddy. Speak soon, all right? Awesome. Well, that's my boy, man, Pri. Now, nah, nah, we're back to the trio, gentlemen. So, look. We got to talk about this kid, Saeed Nurmagomedov, man. I mean, like, when Cody Stamen is in there, I mean, usually if he's going to lose a fight, it's at least going to be like a hard-fought tooth-and-nail battle. Like, I still think he gave Marab uh, his his toughest fight in the UFC most recently. I mean, I know Ricky Simone, like, now this is going to be controversial. Some of y'all are going to disagree with this. If you go back and you watch that Ricky Simone versus Marab fight, just start it in round three. Marab knocks himself out on a takedown attempt. He literally goes head first in the mat, goes limp, and that's when Ricky Simone was able to reverse him, get on top, and finish the fight. And I know that sounds controversial. I love Marab too. But besides that, I thought that Cody Stamen gave Marab his toughest fight. I thought that was a great fight. And all these other ones he's losing, minus the Rivera one, that was kind of like a not a spirited effort on his part. But even the Aljo fight, he won the first round. So, like, Cody Stamen is a respectable, solid guy. So, for Saeed to come out here and not, not just get the finish, but to finish a guy like Stamen in under a minute, I, I mean, that's a statement and a half. And, you know, obviously, yeah, we do get enamored with these early finishes, and we got to see what's going to happen when fights get extended. And the one time he did get extended in the UFC, he lost. Actually, that's not true because he beat Justin Scoggins at flyweight. But you know what I'm talking about. But uh, I think this kid's a problem, man. I mean, I want to see him in there with Adrian Yanez. I want to see him in there with Sean O'Malley. I want to see him eventually work his way up to the top ten, fight the Cheeto Veras, fight the Rob Fonts. I think Saeed Nurmagomedov is the real deal, and I cannot wait for his next fight, Liam. Oh, my God. This one cost me an uncomfortable amount of money, uh, Mr. Levy. I thought that uh, Cody Stamen had a real upside in this fight. 
Um, if the fight was to see the scorecards, I thought he was going to be able to make this a gritty competitive decision. Um, and, you know, I kind of thought that Saeed Nurmagomedov, a lot of what he does is flashy, um, you know, more than substantive, but it looked pretty substantive in this fight. You know, he was hitting and hurting Cody. I think he kind of forced out some bad shots and, um, you know, he's able to capitalize and, you know, it, it really ripped out my heart and soul because he had to use my own favorite uh, series of moves. You know, he puts him in this uh, guillotine choke. He locks it up as that ninja choke variety. I'm like, wow, you know, he's using my favorite stuff to break my heart and take my money. But uh, I think that, you know, overall, what could you say about the guy except that he's super impressive um, and, and, you know, more than I gave him credit for. You know, I tweeted the other day, and I think it, it's pertinent now. The only way that uh, Saeed Nurmagomedov can redeem himself in my eyes would be to get the Sean O'Malley fight and finish that guy in the first round, uh, clean up another one of these guys who's been costing me bets. You know, any guys that cost me a bet, I just want them to clash and uh, and deal with each other now. So uh, I think that that would be a matchup I'd like to see. I think it's good fun and two guys that can finish, two guys that, you know, uh, kind of – ready for a step up in competition, but haven't really been taking that step up. They've kind of been uh, looking to float around in that top 15 and, and pick off some uh, finish type fights. Uh, I think maybe it's time for the iron to meet iron there. And uh, let's get two guys who, who have some flashy wins under their belt in there together. I don't know if you take any solace in this at all, but at least, you know, that move works at the highest level. At least, you know, it works on a UFC pay-per-view against the guy who, you know, it's pretty fucking tough to finish. I mean, Cody Stamen, what's this dude's record? This guy is, I, I'm pulling it up right now. I mean, this guy, oh, coming into the fight, he was 19 and four. You know what I'm saying? He had only been, he'd only been finished one time in 24 fights. So, I mean, like, the so that just goes to show it works at the highest level. So, keep working on those, uh, Liam. Um, but, I mean, uh, James, man. What do you think about this kid, Saeed? What's what's the what's the ceiling? I mean, are you wanting to see him in there with an Adrian Yanez, with an O'Malley, with a Rob Font? Like, um, yeah. is 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 he far beyond a Montel Jackson? Like, what what do you think? Easy, man. He he's he's up there with all of them, you know. Um, definitely. I mean, we can see it. You know, Barcelos is up there with all of them. I know he, you know, he can be a little bit low volume and stuff, but. He went to a very close fight with Barcelos. If Barcelos didn't get that back control in the last round, he may have won that fight, Saeed Namagomedov. Um, his only losses are Barcelos and Bibalatov. Bibalatov is a solid fighter. He used to be in the UFC. Um, after the UFC, he's won all his fights. Uh, he probably should be in the UFC, Magomed Bibalatov. So Saeed's a solid fighter, man. It, it's funny because his name's Namagomedov, but he's not actually related to Khabib Namagomedov. But He's from the same place as him, the same region, and they're very close as friends. But all these Namagomedovs are legit, apart from maybe Abu Bakr is not really in that you know, conversation. But we got Usman Namagomedov out there in Bellator. I think he's a legit fighter. I think we're going to see him you know, win a lot of fights over there, uh, potentially fight for the title. Umar Namagomedov we got in the UFC, who I really want to see back in action soon. He was booked against Jack Shaw. I think that was cancelled, um, but I think, you know, hopefully he's going to come back soon. He's super legit, maybe the best prospect out of all of them. And then Saeed, who's a friend of them. All of these guys are legit, man. You know, I don't need to tell you about these Russian, Dagestani, Grozny, um, you know, Chechen region fighters. But it was a great performance from Cody Stamen. I backed Cody Stamen like Liam over there. I think I put two units on him or something. I thought plus 170 was a bit wide. We'll never know if it was 
maybe we can say it wasn't wide. Maybe we say Saeed just is always going to be able to easily outpoint him on the feet. And if it does get in the grappling situations, he's got the submissions there. You know, I hadn't really seen him. Well, that was his first submission attempt in in his in his four or five UFC fights. And uh, he submits Cody Stamen. So, I mean, one for one at the moment with the submission. So maybe he's got that in his back pocket as well. I think he's only got one other on the regional scene. But he's a legit fighter, man. I actually um, can't wait to see his next fight. I think a good fight for him next, not from like what he quote unquote deserves, but just from my personal selfishness, I'd like to see him fight Timur Valiev because Valiev obviously, um, you know, beat Barcelos last time out in, in that in that close fight. But Valiev's a super fun fighter, right? He'll throw hook kicks, he'll throw spinning kicks, he'll jump kick. And Saeed will do that as well, right? So I think both of them will have an interesting dynamic. It might be like a crazy ninja fight. Kind of reminds me of when Alex Caceres took on Yair Rodriguez back in the day. It was just like spinning for 15 minutes. So I think Valiev versus Namagomedov will be a good fight. But if you want to put him up there in the rankings a little bit, I think he can take on anyone in the top 15 you know, maybe outside of the top five and be competitive in probably UFC's most com competitive um, division, bantamweight, you know, it's either that or lightweight. But I still do think there's questions there on the um, on the grappling side, you know, which is why I backed Cody Stamen. I do think he can be grounded and I do think he can be controlled from top position as we've seen Bibelotov do to him, although that was a while back. Um, I do still have questions there. But I have questions on every single fighter in the world. You know what I mean? So it's not like a detriment that I do have questions on him. But yeah, it's time to... If you don't want to give me that Valier fight, it's definitely time to step up and get him a ranked fight next. Well, Valier is fighting Jack Shore, which I actually... I guess I'll give my pick now. I actually think it's first L time for uh, for Mr. Shore, who I respect a lot. Uh, I think he's a great fighter. Just, you know, he'll be back better after this. But my only thing with Saeed and Valiev, yeah, as a matchup, I mean, come on, it's a great fucking fight. But are they like, do they train together? Do they have the same management? I mean, is there a Russian connection? Like, cause they might, they might be like, oh, that's my brother, because you know they're all brothers, right? So um, that's the only reason that that fight might not happen. But it's a great fucking fight. I mean, no question about it. And then a couple other Magomedovs, one that's not in the UFC, uh, Ramazan Kuramagomedov. I think he's immensely talented. I know he doesn't have the most exciting style at times, even though I thought his contender series fight was super exciting. Um, and he also fought my boy Robert Hale back in the day, and that was a great fight too. I think he's one to look out for. And honestly, I, I'm not so low on a Bukabar either, man. I, I was excited to see him fight uh, Daniel Rodriguez. Like, that was supposed to happen. And I think I think Abubakar had to pull out, and they brought in Kevin Lee uh, or something like that. Like, I don't remember, but – D-Rod and Abubakar were supposed to fight, and I was looking forward to that. So, yeah, I mean, it's like one of those things where Abubakar, maybe, like, he, he has taken some L's, but when he wins, it's the typical Russian coast style. Like, he's going to you, – you know you know how they fight. I don't, I don't got to explain anything about that. So, yeah. Moving on, Michael Morales knocked out Trevin Giles in the first round. Now, it's interesting because in these spots, usually when you get the unproven guy at chalk, versus the veteran at dog money i mean i understand why you'd want to take the veteran at dog money um but let me tell you about a couple spots like this where i've been burnt right uh so there was a fight between and i talk about this all the time so if you guys have heard me mention this example a million times i apologize in advance actually i don't apologize you know but anyways tyler santos versus mara romero barella right 
I bet on Tyler Santos at minus 150 against Barella. I watched all the tape and everything told me minus 150 on Tyler Santos against Barella. Like, <laughs> are you fucking kidding me right now? And then she goes and loses a split decision. And I would make that bet a hundred more times. I mean, Tyler Santos is going to fight for a title soon. Barella is nowhere to be found. This shit happens. Another one. MacDessie versus Bahamondes. Like, I, I get it. You know, at the time, you sh I shouldn't have been laying that kind of price on Bahamondes. I truly believe if they rematch, Bahamondes wins that fight. So now with Michael Morales and Trevin Giles, even though I picked Morales in my head, it fucked with me because of those two examples I mentioned, where it's kind of like the whole, you know, potential versus credential type talk or whatever. Um, Trevin Giles obviously is an established UFC fighter. Michael Morales has not fought anybody at all. So you would just be basing it off of the potential you see, kind of like I was basing Tyler Santos off the potential I saw, kind of like I was basing Ignacio Bahamondes off the potential I saw. So here, like I picked Morales, but I didn't bet it because of those, those other times. And it's like, should I even look at those examples and let that hinder my decision? Because you, you feel what I'm saying? It's like sometimes it's not always the person who's going to project to go further that wins because experience truly does count for a lot, James. Yeah, I guess just like a case-for-case -case basis, man. You just have to make that decision when it comes to it. Like the one with Michael Morales, for example. Well, just I want to touch on first. About a year ago when I started, I probably started creating content a, a couple of years, probably two years ago now. But I remember about a year and a half ago, I made a video when I was on holiday. Uh, I got my ex-girlfriend to record it. Pretty funny. I was by a cliff, right? I thought this would be a great backdrop for a video when probably it's just better if I'm sitting in front of a camera. But I thought it's like I was in front of this great mountain, right, out here in Queenstown. I don't know if you went there, Dan. Beautiful place in New Zealand. And um, I did a video, and the video was titled, I didn't upload it, but it was titled, Do Not Bet on Fighters Making Their UFC Debut. And then I listed off about eight fighters in a row of fighters who have lost their UFC debut but gone on to be amazing UFC fighters. And there's so many of them, right? I, I, honestly, Eddie Alvarez. Eddie Alvarez, he's a UFC champion. Honestly, Anthony Pettis. Okay, so, I mean, you, you guys know what I'm talking about. I was going to say I can't even remember the ones what I listed off, but you've listed off two there for me. And there's a lot more than that. Honestly, I couldn't even fit them in my video. There was like 15 of you know, household UFC names. A few of them were champions that lost their UFC debut. So you definitely have to be careful when betting on fighters making their UFC debut. You know, I guess with the Contender Series, they have like a, you know, some form of introduction before their debut. It might make it a little bit better than maybe coming straight off some random regional scene. I guess you have fought in front of the boss Dana White before. You have felt that pressure of the UFC wanting to sign you. You have been in the octagon. So it might be a little bit different from a contender series guy like um, Michael Morales. And just specifically on Michael Morales in that Trevin Giles fight, it's really annoying because I actually bet against Morales in his contender series fight, which is a bad a bad bet by me because I bet on this Veritanagov guy who was like minus 200, right? And honestly, if you go back and watch that fight, like it's a fairly close fight, but Michael Morales clearly wins the fight. Uh, obviously should never have been the underdog. Terrible bet from me. But he didn't blow Veritanikov away. It was like 1-1, right? On two judges' scorecards, Veritanikov won the first round. He lost the second round. But the third round, Veritanikov was on top of him. He was going to win the fight, but he was just too tired. He gassed out Morales, switched position, and won the fight, right? Then Dana signs him. But the thing about that fight, that really impressed me for Morales because 
I didn't think he'd be able to hang in the clinch or the grappling at all with Veritenikov. He ended up winning the clinch battle. So I knew that this guy has made heavy improvements from what I saw on tape, which is kind of what you're speaking to a little bit as well. And when you're betting on potential, right? So when he was fighting Trevin Giles, I go back and watch Morales' tape first. And when I'm watching the tape, I'm like, I think I'm going to be on Trevin Giles here, man. Trevin Giles is an underdog. Like, I rate Morales because of what he did to my last bet. He won the bet against the minus 200 favorite, which I bet on. So he definitely impressed me. But I'm pretty sure I'm going to be on Giles. Then I actually watched the tape on Giles, and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to be on Giles <laughs> because Trevin Giles does a lot of questionable things in the octagon, right? Even in that fight, he had him hurt, and then he shot for a takedown, and then he ends up getting knocked out. So I'm glad I saved my money there. But it's hard because I feel like Marco Morales has heavy potential, right? And we have seen this. But at the same time, when I watch the tape, I don't see the skills that I project him to be there one day. So it's like, how much stock do I want to put into his potential? Probably a lot because I do believe he has potential and he has shot me a couple of times now, especially with the knockout power against Giles just like that. I mean, it was it was a... It was a strange punch because it was like a short punch like that, but he just knocked his whole head back, you know, and then he was able to get the finish. So, um, yeah, I mean, just speaking about that performance in general, great performance. I, I think that his career is going to be very interesting because I do think that there's fighters that if he puts them up against, I think they can actually dominate him at this point of his career. But again, speaking to that potential, I think that a lot of those fighters I'm thinking of, I think he will actually beat them um, in the future. You know, I think he's like a wrestling champion out there in Ecuador. I saw he's getting a lot of praise in Ecuador. He got the key to the city. You know, I don't even necessarily know what that means. I've heard it since I was a kid, but I don't even really know what a key to the city means. But it's pretty important to be given that. So, you know, the pressure is going to be on his back now. Um, but I'm definitely excited to see where his career goes. You know, Dana White's super high on him. And I think he's got heavy potential. He's 23 years old, man. So he's probably one of the most exciting prospects in the UFC right now. Although there's a lot of holes I see in his game still. I mean, look, the kid's 22 years old. Um, but if his other Ecuadorian counterpart is any indication, there's only two Ecuadorian fighters in the UFC, Marlon Chito Vera and Michael Morales. And Morales is only 22. I mean, he's way ahead of where Chito Vera was when Chito was 22. I don't know if y'all remember when Chito first came into the UFC and it was just raw potential, but like everything else had to be ironed out like there are massive holes in his game and now he's like a top 10 guy on planet earth so he's come a long way he's paid his dues whereas morales in his debut he's already knocking out an established vet of the sport um and I, i'm not i'm not convinced that cheeto got a parade back in ecuador so i mean what what do you think liam i mean look it's i know it's it's early he's 22 he's only had one fight in the ufc we don't really know much yet, but when you look at the kid, I mean, do you see potential top 20? Do you see potential top 15? Or do you just see an exciting action fighter? Like, I know it's early to tell, and we might be way off, but what's your gut telling you about this Michael Morales kid? Yeah, so I bet on Michael Morales in that fight, um, which is something which is something that I don't normally do uh, with UFC debutantes. Uh, but – you know, for me, Trevin Giles, like you guys mentioned, right, has some of those questionable fight IQ moments. But moreover, you know, he was making a drop down in weight class. You know, a lot of times we see guys do that uh, and it doesn't work out so good. Um, and, 
you know, we see them get knocked out in the first round at a pretty alarming rate, which is something that I'm only now putting together uh, in hindsight. But, you know, the, the Kai Kara France, Cody Garbrandt fight also comes to mind, right? Where these guys who are even established uh, go down, try and, you know, get that fresh coat of paint, like Chael Sonnen would say. But it's one thing when you go up in weight class. Yes, you have to deal with bigger guys. And that could go the wrong way, too. Chris Weidman, Dominic Reyes, a quick, easy example of that. But you know, that's a 20 pound gap, you know, 45 to 55. A lot of guys can make that transition and be very competitive. 55 to 70. We've seen some guys RDA, for example, has had some success uh, going back and forth a little bit, but man, going from, uh, you know, 185 down to 170, that's a 15 pound cut. Uh, I think Trevin Giles wasn't really used to cutting much weight. Uh, And so, you know, the ultimate concern that people have uh, is to not get finished, to not get tired, um, and I think that Trevin Giles had both of those fears in that fight, you know, coming down to 170, how's my body going to perform? How's my chin going to hold up? Uh, and especially he's got this young, fresh kid in front of him. Where's he going to go in the fight? You know, he's like thinking about the grappling, you know, I don't know if he was going to win the grappling in that fight, uh, exchange over exchange. Maybe he could have, but, uh, then we see, you know, how's it going to go on the feet? He probably doesn't have the power to hang with this guy. He certainly doesn't have the durability to hang with him. Uh, at this point. And, and that's what's getting a little scary for, for Trevin is that Drickus Duplessis knockout makes a lot of sense. You know, that guy hits like an effing truck. Uh, he's an 85 pounder, right? All of that adds up. But then he's trying to get the fresh coat of paint. He tries to make the lifestyle changes, go down a weight class. And even down at 170, he can't take the punch. So I think either he's got to, you know, reconstitute himself at 185 pounds. He's got to make a, a more disciplined, um, you know, long-term uh approach to this weight cutting, you know, it's just, uh, he's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. I don't know that Morales is ready to beat, you know, every uh, guy he's going to take on in the UFC. I certainly don't think that, but at a pick em price against a guy with so many red flags, I was willing to take the shot there. Um, And I think that, uh, you know, maybe we get a a good price to fade Morales going forward. uh, If he gets a really stiff challenge next time out, and he's not ready for it because he is green. He is a little inexperienced. And I think the, uh, you know, the desire for the UFC is often to step these guys up fast and find out what they're working with. And that could just lead to disaster when you got a 22 year old kid. Uh, and like you mentioned, key to the city, uh, you know, probably going to get some opportunities, a young man in the game. Don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to speak out of turn, but you start getting some opportunities, some money, some you know, the girls want to hang out with you, whatever you're doing, this guy might just uh, have some new avenues open up in his life, have some distractions. So uh, I think Michael Morales, talented guy, lots of upside, lots of potential, but also very young. And we got to give this guy some room, some uh, space to grow. I don't want, you know, he loses his next fight. Everybody goes, oh, he's a fucking scrub, you know, just throw <laughs> him out. And, and that's sometimes what we do in this game. So I want to just take, you know, a long-term view on this guy and and let's see where he's at when he's 25. I think he's going to be uh, probably in a prime position, probably in the rankings. Do you by chance know if he's still training in Ecuador or has he made the switch to the States yet? I I feel like he's in the States, but I just can't remember. Okay, because like that was one of the crucial decisions that Cheeto Vera made. Because like like I t- like I said, y'all remember when Cheeto Vera was like the greenest guy on the roster. He had that raw potential, but he was just so fucking green. When he fought Davy Grant the first time, when he fought Marco Psycho Beltran, when he fought Roman Salazar, like he had to make a change. He was training in Ecuador, literally with cab drivers, like with non-fighters. Um, then he moves to the states, 
and you saw the run he's on. He, he's a top eight, top ten guy on planet Earth. So maybe Morales already trains in the States, but if he doesn't, I hope he makes that switch soon. I think Morales, like just looking here, and I actually remember from his Contender Series fight, he's out there in Tijuana with the with Brand. Oh Brandon. yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Gym. Good so call. Good pretty, call. Pretty pretty solid gym there. He's got some good training partners. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, no, it's always good coming up. That's much better than the training in Ecuador. So that I mean, I mean, a world champion Brandon Moreno was training there. So that yeah. that's good enough for me. So I'm glad that that just shows maturity that. You know, he was willing to get out of his comfort zone, go somewhere else and get the better training. And hopefully, you know, hopefully we see better things from him um, as, as his career progresses. So we're hitting the two hour mark. So we got to get out of here soon. There's just two guys I want to talk about before we get out of here. Victor Henry and Jack Della Madalena. Um, I think we cannot leave the show without talking about those two. Firstly, Victor Henry. I mean, when you show up to the UFC, with like 26 pro fights you've never been finished one time he's i mean this guy has been through the ups the downs he's well-rounded he's in great shape he was disrespected because we all thought hyoni barcelos or i thought hyoni barcelos was like a future top 10 guy but i i got a bone to pick with hyoni barcelos management which actually i got a lot of respect for i think it's ed soras who brought up the great anderson silva amongst others i mean i got all the respect for ed soras but ed Y'all had a fight against Rafael Asuncao booked. You know what happens when you beat Rafael Asuncao. You move up the rankings. Asuncao's got a win over basically everybody in the top 15. Sterling, Dillashaw, Munoz, Font, etc., etc., etc. So going out there and beating a guy like Asuncao, that's massive. And, of course, Asuncao pulled out the fight. And I'm thinking to myself, like, dude, let's wait for Asuncao to come back. Because you beat him, that's a guaranteed ranking. And what does this guy do? He goes out there and he fights an unknown, dangerous opponent named Timor Valiev, who no one knows who this guy is. He's unranked, but he's just as good as a lot of the guys that are ranked. That like That's a stupid fight. Comes in here with Victor Henry, who has literally nothing to lose, who is also just as dangerous and as experienced as all these other guys, but no one knows who he is, loses another tough uh, tough, uh, tough fight and um now you're not gonna hit the rankings now you're hitting 36 years old what could have been man i mean dude if you would have just waited for that a sun south fight i mean ricky simone who is who's known for putting up grappling numbers is out here knocking out rafael a sun south i mean because the sun south is just at that point in his career he, he's done so I think it was the biggest career mistake ever for Hyoni not to wait for that fight. And as a result, now he's on a two-fight skid, never going to get that ranking, never going to get that title shot. It's sad what could have been because I thought that dude had all the potential in the world, James. Yeah, it is sad. It's sad for Hyoni, and I don't want to make it about me, but it's also sad for me because I bet on him <laughs> at like minus 300. Um, another thing that's sad, and I spoke to Z about this uh, last week, is that Hyoni Barcelos made, I think he made like 28,000 for that Victor Henry fight, which is, you know, I don't want to get on to fight or pay, but just talking about management and his management specifically, he should be getting paid more than 28,000 um, for a fighter who has been in the top 15, for a fighter who has put on the performances who he's put on, you know, for a fighter that's beat Saeed Magomedov and some of the fighters he's beat and, so, and, and some of the ways he's beat them. But um, 
Yeah, it's funny because you mentioned Jack Della, right, as well. And when you mentioned Victor Henry and Jack Della, in my mind, I'm like, okay, Victor Henry, I made the worst bet of all time on Hayoni Barcelos. And then Jack Della, I made one of the best bets of all time when he fought um, Ange Lusa in his debut uh, in a contender series fight. I bet him via decision at like plus 500. With the Vic Victor Henry, um, I mean, this guy's a solid prospect, you know. I just, I was really stupid in that fight. Just to speak about my bet quickly, because I feel like I want to address it. Um, I bet him at minus 300. I didn't bet him at like minus 500. So I guess I feel a little bit better um, because I actually did think the line was getting too wide when it moved past like minus 500. I think it got to like minus 550 at one point on a couple books. But I I just thought that um, the boxing would be heavily in Barcelos's favor. I thought the kickboxing would be close, but I thought the boxing, I thought he would land heavy shots and I thought that they would basically win him the fight. And I also thought that the grappling, I thought it was a white belt fight in a, a black belt in Barcelos versus Henry. Obviously the grappling had never got there. Should I have expected Barcelos to pursue takedowns? No. Has he ever pursued takedowns in his career? Not really. So I shouldn't have expected that. That was a terrible um, expectation from me. But I did think that he'd just land on the feet and be able to knock him out. Now, the big difference in that fight was that every time Barcelos got touched on the chin, his legs started to wobble, right? Which we haven't actually seen from Barcelos before. So it's pretty interesting how that happened in this fight. Because Victor Henry, let me tell you something now, the guy's an amazing fighter. He's not a heavy hitter, right? I've watched his tape. I've watched his regional scene. He isn't a one-punch knockout artist. He isn't a powerful puncher. Um, but he was wobbling Barcelos all over the gaff. So... I don't know whether it was something of his weight class. Maybe he's just getting too old. Barcelos is getting a little bit on now. Um, and the opposite side, Victor Henry, when he got hit with shots, because he got hit with absolute bombs that have put down people like Timur Valiev, like Khalid Taha. You know, they've almost ended people's nights. And um, he just ate them like it was nothing. Like it literally didn't do anything. So very impressed with, um, with um, Victor Henry. Want to give a big shout out to Liam because I know Liam was on Victor Henry at like plus 400 or plus 320 or you need to tell me the, the number there. That was an amazing bet. Um, well done to you, bro, because that was one of the best bets of the year, in my opinion. Potentially the best bet of the year so far. Um, look, it was a close fight, but it he deserved to be a minus 120 favorite, you know, and the guy was like plus 350 or whatever it was. So great bet there. Um, I don't know if you want to touch on Jack Della right now. I will just say that I think he's a serious prospect and um, I didn't want to bet on him at minus 300 against Pete Rodriguez, who I knew nothing about. You know, I didn't have too much interest there, um, but I'm definitely interested to see him, him him going forward because I've been high on him since I started watching him, which was for that contender series fight. I know most of the people I spoke to was on Ange Lusa in that fight. I was on Jack Della and a lot of people were saying that. <laughs> so we were... Liam's saying he so we went one for one, bro. But I mean, you, you had the plus three twenty five, so you you beat me on that one. But yeah, about Jack Della, a lot of people saying he looks a lot better now. Um, I mean, I felt like he's always looked good, you know. But he's definitely improving. I'm very excited to see both of these guys' career. You know, Jack Della, we need to take him a little bit slower. He's only like eleven and zero. He doesn't have much competition, you know, experience. Victor Henry, on the other hand, he can go now, you know, put him there now because the guy's got like 25, 26, 30 fights or whatever it is. He just beat Barcelos, you know, Jack Della, with all due respect, he beat Pete Rodriguez, who was 4-0 and and never fought in the UFC. And Ange Luzo, who's a decent fighter who had never fought in the UFC. But Victor Henry, he just beat a top 25 guy, a top 20 guy. Let's get him a run right now because, you know, time is of the essence with him. But both guys, 
very impressed with and really excited to see their careers play out. Damn, Liam, so humble. Uh, I never heard that you had a bet on uh, on my boy Victor Henry. Goddamn, son. Goddamn. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, uh, bet sizing matters, ladies and gentlemen, because I still came away with a losing night despite hitting the best underdog on the card because I was a little overexposed on my boy Cody Stamen. So uh, dangers of bet sizing. That's why we always got to size responsibly, uh, bet smart, not hard. But what I think uh, was the takeaway for that fight, you know, I expected Barcelos to win that fight. But I thought it was split decision territory. You know, Barcelos isn't really a guy that runs away with it a lot of the times. He fights within the margins um, and he's got a lot of skills, but people respect the shit out of them. Right. Like people fucking love Hani Barcelos. And I get it. You know, he's a fun guy. He's awesome. But there's also, you know, that tipping point. Right. And I think that that's something I look for uh, in matchups because I'm an underdog better more often than not. And so if I'm waiting to see you know, when is the value there? You know, I like to let that number push out. And this is one of the rare instances where we get a rebooked fight where the number improves for what I want to play. So it's like, I get, uh, the last time this was booked, it was like minus 385 or something, Honey Barcelos. Uh, so like plus two something, I think on the comeback uh, for Victor Henry. And then it got bet out a little bit. So Victor Henry was like plus 300. And I was like, ah, I don't know. But then plus 425 was the most recent uh, iteration that I was able to get. And I was just like, that's an absurd number. Like they, you just can't say that this guy in a fight that, you know, probably goes the distance more often than not, it's a bantamweight fight. We're going to say the guy has less than a 20% chance and he's coming in uh, like James mentioned, this isn't a contender series guy who's had eight fights and he's just figuring out, Hey, do I want to do this for my career? It's like, <laughs> no, he spent his whole life just to get this opportunity. Like, I, I just think, uh, you know, Victor Henry, man, blood, sweat, and tears, like fucking trained, fought everywhere, tough guys, matches that he won and lost and just never was deterred. And I think, uh, you know, Hani Barcelos is kind of that guy who like was right on the edge and just never like took that next step. Victor Henry would not be denied that night. Uh, and so I was stunned by that performance. I thought he just fought like a complete gangster. Every time he got touched, he was like, fuck you. and just threw back 10 shots. He was like, just wouldn't be denied. I, I was so blown away and got to give credit to my man, Jack attack, uh, who came in the comments on my show. I, I kept saying, I was like, Victor Henry, I, I feel like he's going to, and he's like, dude, take the bet. And I was like, All right, I'll take the bet. And we both celebrated together that night. So uh, big blessings there. But you know, I also regret passing that Jack Della bet. I feel like that was the bet of the fucking night. Uh, to be honest, Pete Rodriguez completely unproven. Um, and I looked into the matchup. I'm like, yeah, there's not much on Pete Rodriguez. You know, maybe he could catch Jack. Uh, Jack has been finished in, in two of his early fights. But this guy, Jack Della, man, like when you listen to the stories, you start to see why uh, people are, are are believing in this guy, which is he loses those first two fights. And he was like, fuck this. I'm winning 10 fights in a row and getting in the UFC. And like 11 fights later, here he is knocking out Pete Rodriguez uh, in elementary fashion, walked him around the octagon, landed horrifying damage in like a four minute time span. Uh, Pete Rodriguez, it would be surprising if he's ever the same, uh, in my view, as a fighter, he was a confidence fighter, uh, you know, a power fighter, and he got completely worked in his own realm of the fight. Uh, and just looked like he was, uh, you know, stuck out in traffic, uh, just had no idea how to respond. And he was getting hit with every shot that, uh, Jack Della threw. So, uh, Jack Della seems like a real prospect on the rise, uh, again, though, probably going to be one of those guys who's a minus 300 now uh, until he's, he takes that L. 
um, because I think people are, are sold on on this guy. He, he's not just a bill of goods. Uh, if he doesn't get clipped on the chin, he's going to give guys a lot of problems. Yeah, look, I think that Henry, like y'all said, let's go ahead and rush him now to, to the to the bigger fights. I mean, not the bigger fights, just the, the tougher tests. You beat Barcelos, well, now you're not getting, you know, the equivalent of um, Pete Rodriguez in your weight class, right? And then with Della, I mean, when you start your your pro career 0-2, I know so many guys on the regional scene that have started their career 0-2 and just were like, you know what? I tried. It wasn't for me. You know, let's pack it in and let's go do something else. And there's nothing wrong with that. But this guy, he puts his head down. He goes from 0-2 to 11-2. So right off the bat, he's got my respect. I mean, I respect anyone that steps in there. But right off the bat, to overcome adversity like that and the mental fortitude he has, I like it. Fighting style-wise, he reminds me of like a cleaner version of Jimmy Crute. My my. My like biggest like criticisms of Crew. I mean, I think he's such a tough, durable guy, and he's exciting to watch. He gets hit too much, and Della does take some shots. Don't get me wrong, but I, I just feel like he's a slightly cleaner version of Crew. He's well rounded. He can mix in wrestling on the feet, as you saw. He can knock people out. And with that kid Rodriguez, yeah, you're right. I mean, he's only, he was only four and zero. He had never fought anybody. He had never even been past like the two minute mark in a fight. But Jack Della treated him like he had never fought anybody. Jack Della treated him like he had never been past the two-minute mark in a fight. So I, I'm impressed too. So I say rebook him with Worley Alves because that's actually somewhat of a test. Like I know Worley's flaky, but if you're not quite ready for Worley, Worley will go out there and run through you. I mean, you saw that kid Munir Lazez last year. Um, even back in the day, I mean, Worley's had some good wins. He did finish Colby Covington. So I want to see that Jack Della versus, uh, versus Worley fight. And um, yeah. Y'all cool with that? Run it. Great fight. Munir, like, kind of was the Jack Della of last year. Do you remember everybody was super high on Munir after that performance against, I forgot his name, but the, Razak. Razak, yeah. Um, Jack Della's the, the, the new Munir, <laughs> it seems like. But I think I have a little suspicion that he might actually do a little bit better than Lazez did against Wally this time out, if they reach it. Yeah. I'm not saying he's going to win, but I am saying he's he's tougher than Lizez. But let's see what happens, guys. But, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me on this special impromptu edition of Half the Battle. I truly appreciate it. You can follow Liam at Liam Picks Fights. You can follow James at Lucrative MMA. Gentlemen, uh, I truly appreciate it. Uh, Before we get out of here, do you have any messages uh, for the fans, James? Just want to say thank you, bro. Um, I've definitely enjoyed this. I always enjoy talking about fights, man, at the end of the day, man. It could be with my nana, could be with my mum, could be with you boys, you know what I mean? So I'm always down for an impromptu stream. Um, yeah, good to be on with you live for the first time. We'll definitely have to do this again sometime. Nah, uh, everybody, good luck on their bets, you know? Uh, that's what we try and do here. We try to educate, we try to give you guys good picks and keep you guys entertained as well. I mean, I'm entertaining myself, so hopefully you're entertained as well. Good luck this weekend. I can't wait for the card. This is a sleeper card this weekend. We didn't touch on it, but it's a sleeper card. You know, a few people saying, ah, there's not very good names on this card. Trust me, this card's a sleeper card. So exciting for this one. And then obviously we got the big one um, done, coming up in a few weeks. So yeah, thanks boys. And I'll see you on the other side. Yes, sir. Take care, James, Liam, uh, any last words? Absolutely. Just want to say thank you again for the opportunity, my man. Always a blast talking through these fights. Um, started off the year, you know, 
basically break even. So I still got to prove myself, wake up every day with a chip on my shoulder and, uh, I am ready to get after it for this card, fired off some underdog shots and, uh, ready to get after it, dig back into the tape and see if there's anything on that prop market that catches my eye. But, uh, I think that we're in for a treat. Like James mentioned, this is a fight card for, uh, the hardcore fans, uh, to celebrate. I think there's a lot to dig into here. So, uh, I'm excited to get after it, man. Another great fight card. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, I truly appreciate it. I just got to give my plug. So I'm going to remove y'all, but guys, it's been an absolute pleasure and we'll speak very, very soon. Thank you guys very much. So y'all make sure y'all follow Liam and James. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with both of them. Um, so guys, thank y'all for being here, man. Two fucking hours. This is pretty badass that y'all lasted this long with us, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. You know, initially it was supposed to be me and Phil Rowe, like I said, he was having kind of a brutal weight cut, so he didn't really want to talk. I mean, he literally let me know like two minutes before showtime. Like, dude, I, I can't do this tonight. Maybe next week. So we'll, we'll talk next week. No big deal. All that matters is him going out there and knocking out Jason Witt. So we got to make sure that he uh, does everything in his power to make sure he's got the best weight cut possible. Um, make sure you all follow me at Best Fight Picks. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify. All the places where we are available. I'll be back Saturday morning, 10.30 a.m. Eastern time with Shaq to break down the entire card, Strickland versus Hermanson. And then, guys, like I said, if you're looking for a sports book to bet on the fights or to bet on the Super Bowl or anything, you got to check out BetUS. Use my code BATTLE125 for an 125% bonus on your first deposit. And they got great odds and they got live betting throughout the event. So BetUS. Check them out for all your sports betting needs. And then for daily fantasy sports, guys, prize picks is where it's at. You can take advantage of so many projections that they're off on, and you don't have to compete with thousands upon thousands of people. And you can combine multi-sports. So it's really badass. Make sure you all use my code BATTLE at prize picks. The links are in the description. And uh, I look forward to speaking with you guys on a Thursday morning at 10.30 a.m. So thank you all very much. Thank you to my guests. Thank you to the fans. Truly appreciate it. Everybody smash that like button. I, I, I do appreciate that as well. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.